You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 481. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 12th of July, 2021. Today's episode, a Russian flight crashes into a cliff, leaving no survivors. A plane landing in Montreal kills a woman riding a lawnmower. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale defending the Baltic Express. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 481 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in... New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today, down by the river... In Riverside, California, his hotel studio, world traveler, airplane mechanic, Breitling Cognizetti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It's Miami Rick. Hello, everybody from Southern California. It's always sunny down here. I love it. Weather's yeah, great. And when it rains, it pours, right? Oh, yeah. Or something but, like that. You know, sunny. <laughs> All right. Very good. And also joining us from across the pond in his studio in Hartford, Hereford and Hampshire. He is a professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330 A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's uh, yeah, I'm not I'm going to butt in there before the recharge comes. <laughs> well, too late, Hi, you're everybody. here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Ah, yeah, right. it's just uh, it's second go. Uh, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. All right, very good. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get on with the news. Stand by for news. Item one is a crash. Uh, Petropavlovsk Kamchatsky, uh, Antonov 26, AN 26, uh, registration uh, Romeo Alpha 26085, performing flight 251 from Petropavlovsk Kamchatsky to Palana, Russia, with 22 passengers and six crew, was on approach to Palana in foggy and cloudy conditions when contact with the aircraft was lost. The aircraft has not landed at any airport. The aircraft was later found to have collided with the top of the coastal slope, about 3.8 kilometers 
which is about 2.1 nautical miles from the airport. There are no signs of survivors. On July 7th, 2021, Kamchatka's emergency ministry reported rescue and recovery forces. 51 people strong have reached the wreckage at the foot of the cliff and have so far recovered nine bodies and identified one of the recovered bodies. The recovery operation is difficult with winds around 18 meters per second, which is about 35 knots. Waves of one and a half meters, a visual survey of the area is underway. If weather improves, a helicopter will join the efforts. On the 9th of July, emergency services reported they were able to recover one of the black boxes that will be sent to Moscow for decoding. Several human remains were also recovered. The search for the bodies as well as the second black box are still underway. Rescuers have, in the meantime, reached the top of the cliff. On July 10th, 2021, medical services reported that human remains of all 28 victims have been recovered and are being sent for further examination. Kamchatka's regional government reported contact with the aircraft was lost just when the aircraft was maneuvering to begin the final approach, about nine kilometers, five nautical miles, before the airport uh, at about 1,500 local time. The aircraft had departed uh, Petropavlovsk at uh, 1257 and was uh, estimated to land at 1505. The aircraft carried 22 passengers and six crew. Uh, The government also published a list of the passenger names. On July 7th, 2021, Kamchatka's regional government also announced that the captain of the flight had been, uh, who's 35 years old, had been employed with the airline since 2013, had accumulated more than 3,300 flying hours, uh, 750 hours as captain. The first officer flew for the airline for more than a year and accumulated 1,253 total hours and 1,091 hours on type. The flight engineer, 65 years old, was the most experienced of the crew and an old-timer of the Enterprise, and had accumulated 9,300 hours total, 6,900 hours on type. The Navigator, wow, big crew, uh, 49 years old, worked for the airline since 2018, having served in state aviation for 11 years. He had 2,090 hours total and 1,263 on type. The crew had flown together for a long time. The aircraft had been properly certified airworthy and had passed the last inspection in the week before the crash. Engineers of the manufacturer had participated in that inspection. The airline stated that the AN-26, uh, that airplane has a service life of up to 35 years, and their aircraft have been sent to the manufacturer where the airframe undergoes a complete overhaul, including engines for an extension of the service life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of their five AN-26s, four had been overhauled already. The fifth was scheduled to be sent to the manufacturer this week and is currently not flying. Uh, Rosa Viazia reported the mountains around Palana were covered in clouds. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, weather um, reported, uh, you know, the uh, the mountains around the uh, airport were covered in clouds with broken cloud ceiling at 300 meters, which is 1,000 feet MSL, and overcast cloud at 720 meters, 2,400 feet MSL. A Russian pilot provided METARs for Palana about 6.5 hours after the crash. I'm not sure how that's really going to help. <laughs> that's a that's a considerable amount of time after the crash. And at that point, it was about 4,000 overcast and uh, 15 Celsius. And uh, winds were 190 at 9 uh, meters per second. Okay. Um, according to a NOTAM, all RNAV and RNP instrument approach procedures for Palana were suspended from April 22nd, 2021 to July 22nd, 2021. 
Hmm. Um, I'm not sure that they said what approach that they were using when they crashed. Um, They did mention that the coast of the extended runway centerline of Palana's runway 11 raises about 110 meters above the sea and to about 120 meters above sea level in the area of the final position the aircraft was found at. Uh, So it looks like a controlled flight into terrain. Here's a photo from the helicopter and you can see that black mark and you know that's they they almost cleared that cliff but not quite i'm looking at the uh i thought i had a charge for palana but i don't but the the, the runway is only 4700 feet long so it's not it's not a long runway Hmm. Uh, it's it's a 2911 can you guess which way he was going jeff did he was he see seaward heading inland or yes yeah, he was flying over okay. the sea, coming in to the port. So uh, re- uh, the airport, uh, you see the approximate final position right there, and then the airport is right here. So they hmm. were coming in from the uh, northwest, it appears. If this is oriented toward north, which I believe it is, and uh, and so just that I'm looking at all the approach plates, and there's no approach that goes over that piece of terrain. Yeah, I didn't see that either, Nick. And do they have any ILSs or anything other than RMP or RNAV? Oh, there it is. I mean, the, in uh, in the by the way, this is from the Aviation Herald, and in the Aviation Herald article, uh, we have this approach plate um, for the RMP runway one one, and as you mentioned, Nick, um, it doesn't. Um, it, it's not plotted to fly over that area where they crashed. Um, let me see. The other one here is the uh, approach to runway 21, I think. No, 29. Or 1129. It must be a sort of it's, approach. Yeah, it's not an ILS either. It doesn't, yeah. have, the, it doesn't have the feather. Well, then I, I don't know if it's It looks like an ND, Russia. Maybe an NDB. Yeah, it looks like some kind of NDB. Because there. there's that, um, that navigation aid there, 285. I can't read Russian, so I'm not really sure. But... That looks to me, but e- even again, um, I don't know why they were up, you know, up here further up in the coastline, but more to they the, lost uh, north. In the fog, uh, lost in the fog. Yeah. But, um, maybe they were trying to fly that RNP or RNAV procedure and, uh, they didn't realize that they had been notamed out of service and maybe, uh, they were following some bogus, um, guidance perhaps. I don't know. I, I don't know how that would be how that would affect their navigation uh, because an RMP is generally a satellite based, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Maybe there was something going on in the area that was causing the satellite signals, uh, interfering with satellite signals and satellite reception. And perhaps they were getting some, you know, bogus data in their, uh, in their airplane. Yeah, and I, I mean that's 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 happened to me. You know, there were where um, there are notams, particularly in when we used to when I used to operate in the Middle East quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, where the ILS was out, and then uh, there were no GPS approaches available because the signal, the GPS signal, is going to be jammed for mm-hmm. one reason or another. You know, a lot of a lot of times military type operations, mm-hmm. and so you can't rely on that. So yeah. I don't know if there's something of of um, military value around the area where this happened uh, that could uh, have uh, warranted the uh, signal being turned off if that's what happened at all. But mm-hmm. we don't know that at this point. But uh, oh, 
Yeah, Ludwig makes a point, but we'd have Ludger. a, a Ludger. double problem if he was coming in on the wrong bearing and had the wrong Q&H. Uh, that would be two errors, which yeah. is, is probably going to be... But here's another likely. thing. Remember that in Russia, they, fl uh, um, they fly Q&E. Uh, they, they they land QFE, uh, QFE. Sorry, QFE. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, QFE. <laughs> Thanks, next very much. Fifty <laughs> percent. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't want to you you don't want to land on uh, twenty nine ninety two. You want to land QFE. <laughs> there you go. QFE is what you want to <clears throat> you want to land on. Well, but since over there, coastal, uh, QFE is a little iffy. Uh -huh, get it, effy? Uh, very. Uh, <laughs> all right. What Terrible. the F are you saying? But since it's yeah. a coastal airport, there's not going to be a lot, of, a lot of difference anyway. The airport elevation looks pretty low. Yeah. yeah. So the two are going to be very similar. True. Yeah, precisely. That's true. Hmm. Well, it's kind of a mystery. Definitely controlled flight into terrain. Uh, oh, into yeah. Terrain. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, yeah, so it, it could be one or the other of what we had just speculated upon, or perhaps maybe both. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, we'll get an accident investigation report when they start gathering the data or data, if you prefer. All right. Did you just flip the bird at me, Nick? I just noticed that. <laughs> no. I'm, like this. I'm sorry if I've upset you in some way. Uh -huh. there you go. <laughs> okay. Very All right. Uh, let's, uh, move on to the next item in our news notebook. And that is this, uh, again, from the aviation Herald, avherald.com, uh, a crash Alianza DC three registration, he, uh, hotel kilo, I was going to say Hector, uh, hello, <laughs> uh, hotel kilo two, eight, two, zero performing a test flight from, uh, with three crew was climbing out of Villa Vicencio, Colombia. Would that be right, Nick? How would you say that? Villa. Maybe Rick would know. I mean, Nick. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if Nick could. Uh, could uh, Rick. I mean, Rick. Uh, Nick. Rick. You guys need to change your names. It's too similar. <laughs> Villa Vicencio. <laughs> well, that sounds yeah, like uh, Italy to me, but this is Colombia. There you go. Villa Vicencio. Okay. Uh, about five minutes after departure, radar and radio contact was lost. The aircraft had not landed at, at any airport. That seems to be a theme so far. A mm. search for the missing aircraft was initiated, and the aircraft was found destroyed. All three crew perished. Local media reported the crew declared an emergency shortly after departure. The search is currently focusing on the Guataquilla River Canyon, east of the aerodrome. Gua Guataquilla? Guataquilla. Okay. That was pretty darn pretty close, good. wasn't it? Yeah, pretty darn close. good. Col Colombia's civil defense reported the aircraft was on a training mission. It has not yet been found. Colombian authorities have reported that the aircraft had been repaired and was performing a test flight. Hmm, I guess not repaired well enough. The aircraft <laughs> is suspected to be in the Guatiquilla River Canyon, northwest of the aerodrome between the villages of Restrepo and El Calvario at an altitude of about 1,600 to 1,700 meters. In the evening of July 8th, local time, Aero Seville uh, stated that the search and rescue operations trying to locate the aircraft west of Restrepo are going to continue when sufficient daylight is available again. The next day, the wreckage was located in dense undergrowth surrounded by trees, and they had found that the crew had perished. No METARs are available for Sierra Kilo Victor Victor, the local weather station reported at 8 o'clock local, light drizzle, temperature at 22 degrees C, 
Dew point 21, humidity 94%, winds from the west-northwest at 7 kilometers per hour, uh, which is 4 knots, pressure 966 hectopascals. At uh, 11 o'clock local time, there were thunderstorms reported. And here's a picture of the tail of the DC-3. And That's pretty low pressure, isn't it? Yeah. Is it? I think. Low pressure. It yeah. And if you look at the if you look at the the temperature dew point spread, and you apply the rule of thumb, uh, you, you take your the difference between temperature and pressure, multiply that times four hundred, gives you generally the low the the the, um, the altitude of the lowest layer of um, of condensation oh, yeah. or, or cloud. Uh-huh. You know that will right. be what just about, uh, and what three. did you come up with there? <clears throat> what do you got? Twenty one to twenty two. It's about four hundred feet. Okay. Ish. That's yeah, pretty low. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like here's a picture uh, from Google Earth, um, uh, the airport down uh, here, and then um, the final approximate or approximate final position over here. It looks like, you know, Colombia is a, definitely a mountainous. Uh, country for sure, right? Yes, particularly in particularly in the center, and that happens in all in all countries in South America. Well, along the along the uh, the west uh, part of South America, all the way from from Venezuela, all the way down to to, to southern Chile, the the Andes um, mm-hmm. run north to south there, and so it uh, it it gets uh, you know flying around those uh, that that type of terrain and 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 these these old aircraft that uh, can get a little tricky, and I, I imagine that. Uh, Obviously, the uh, I don't know if they had. I don't imagine they had ground proximity warning system on an old DC three. Maybe they did. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But, don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, and well, Andes is where they make those mints, right? I love those things. Those Andes mints. <laughs> yeah, the, the the green ones. I yeah. Know. I was going to say the DC three. Don't they normally dangle some guy down on a rope and uh, he shouts when he sees the ground? <laughs> yeah, the- ground ground ahead. <laughs> Yeah, the Run ground ahead. proximity warning person, bloke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I guess I, it's a lot of these old airplanes do are do have at least a a, a some kind of you know GPS navigation retrofit, and then and then you know that yeah. that has some kind of terrain awareness uh, uh, system. So, um, but uh, but then again, you know, I, I don't know. That's weird. That is, and again. Hopefully we'll we'll hear something about what they suspect happened here right now. It's just so soon, I guess, that uh, they don't really don't know yet. Miami Hick says no. The rope thing is a mad dog thing. Oh, uh, Miami Hick <laughs> is here in the chat room. Uh, no, that's a mad dog. No, we don't use a rope with somebody dangling on it. We use chickens. <laughs> uh, come on. Come on, man. Here. Frozen yeah. chickens, presumably. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Frozen chickens, yes. All right. Uh, anything else to be said regarding that, gentlemen? Or oh. you two that are here with me on the <laughs> sad uh, loss of a vintage airplane. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Very much so. Well, speaking of vintage airplanes, uh, here is uh, the next item in our news notebook, and it is regarding um <laughs> This, uh, I, I don't mean to chuckle, uh, the uh, 737-200, an update on the uh, 737 ditching. NTSB released underwater photos from Trans Air Boeing 737-200 that crashed into the sea off Honolulu, Hawaii on July uh, 2nd. And if you look really, really closely, right 
over here behind the tail. I think that's that's Rick down there searching for the black boxes, right? That's right. Yeah. With my snorkel. Yeah. <laughs> snorkel. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, it's pretty good because it's sitting uh, up to 420 feet yeah. down. That's 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 deep. That's uh, that's the way. It's absolutely. It says that's too deep for the divers to get black boxes. Not too deep for uh, Rick though. And here's another. Uh, looks like the thing separated forward of the wing. And there's the uh, forward portion of the fuselage. Fuselage. Call that section 41. You see the, yeah. the bottom data there? Yeah. This is temp temperature. 116 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's pretty dang hot down there. <laughs> okay, I really? Well, I, like I, I think that that must be a miscalibration or something. That Wouldn't it have to be pretty darn cold at 420? It might be the internal temperature of the Of the camera? Of this. Or the yeah, vessel the, the, uh, that's yeah, taking the, the picture? Submarine, remote yeah. submarine. That's probably what it is. Underwater yeah. drain. Yeah. Well, look at here. It's 439.7 degrees. No, that's not degrees. I don't know what that is. <laughs> that's depth. 439.7. Wow. Heck, that's that one of the engines down. Uh, there. Well, I can tell what happened. That's That engine's too short. Ah. <laughs> well, they must have put the wrong engine on it or something. Yeah. I put the short version. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, pretty so. good photos. Though. It's interesting good how clear. if you look at the engine, it it looks the uh, so uh, the 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 blades there look relatively intact, mm -hmm. at least on part of the you know, part of the engine there. Which I wonder if that engine was was turning at all, or are those uh, static vanes, or, right or, or are those just the, or, or those guide vanes? Yes, yeah, JT8D, and I think so, that those aren't those don't move. Uh, if I'm correct, if we have an engine, do we have an engine expert in the house? No, we don't. Okay. Hmm. Um, I don't know about that. We'll we'll see. Yeah. Well, if they're blades, they look pretty intact. Yeah. Let me see if. Um... Hello. Hello. Do Do you know anything about engines? No, nothing. Got nothing there. <laughs> All right. But he knows about water. So he does. He's That's halfway there. I thought maybe, yeah. maybe that he'd be able to say something about it, but apparently not. Uh, yeah. Um, and I, as far as I know, um, they haven't really released any other information yet. Have Have you seen anything regarding that ditching and what could possibly have been the issue? Hillel knows a little bit. He knows oh. a little. Oh, Hillel knows a little. Okay. Well, tell us then. Start typing. Um, <laughs> and in the meantime, we're going to talk. Uh, about the fact that I believe when we first talked about this last show, Rick, I don't think you were with us. Yeah, uh, I was in, I was in, I was in Honolulu, and I was all set to go, and then the internet crashed in the hotel, and oh, I was trying right. to get it. I was trying to get a new room, that's and right, that's that right. wouldn't, that didn't work. So yeah. that uh, that was a well, that was a that was a bust. We kind of, um, you know, were thinking that because you know it was kind of odd for both engines to fail, and so we we're wondering if it might have something to do with the. With fuel contamination, or oh, there we go. There's the uh, engine expert there, Halal Glazer. Uh, suck, squeeze, bang, blow. Okay, there you well, go. same Perfect. to you. <laughs> right back at you. Yeah, right back at you, man. <laughs> kind of rude. Um, yeah, so apparently he doesn't really know that much about engines, <laughs> yeah. but enough to be dangerous. Anything else you might want to speculate upon, uh, Rick? No, it was just uh, just it's interesting that. Uh, those are the same engines that uh, you used to fly with on the seven two seven, right? Seven the, two, the, and then the JT eight, and, 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 and also the Mad on the Mad Dog. Yeah, on the Mad Dog. Yeah, it's a great engine, Pratt yeah. and Whitney. 
I was just going to say that, um, you know, because the front half of the uh, aircraft separated, it looks like it would have flooded and uh, gone under pretty quick. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we're going to be able to say hats off to the Coast Guard rescue crew who managed to get both pilots out. And I don't know, because they were quite badly injured, weren't they? I don't know if they mm-hmm. managed to get out of their own accord and were just floating around in life vests, but uh, we do know nasty the situation. Oh, you do? Yeah, because I watched the um, one of the Coast Guard, one of the local stations uh, interviewed the Coast Guard pilots and on a separate one, uh, the Coast Guard rescue swimmer and uh, flight tech. And uh, they said that the one, uh, I think it was the co-pilot, uh, was float was hanging on to some cargo uh, and that was inside of a cargo net, mm-hmm. and uh, I and then the the uh, then they noticed that the tail of the seven three was still sticking up above the surface of the water, and they could tell that uh, another crew member was like hanging on to that, and then the thing was like they were there when they watched it go under, and then he was kind of struggling, and they said drowning, and they were able wow. to move from the guy that was near the cargo net uh, to the captain that was um, basically drowning and rescued him first. And I think wow. he was the Good mo- job, boys. Yeah, they Good got job. they got out on their own, apparently. Yeah, wow. apparently they did. Mm-hmm. Which, you're Just right. shows what adrenaline can do, despite your injuries. Right. Just can you imagine? Was yeah. the uh, first officer busy opening packages in case there was something interesting? <laughs> he might have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Okay, so there, that's that. So hopefully we'll hear something soon about uh, what they think may have happened here. Um, Sharing the next item, um, you may have seen this, uh, those of you watching our show, uh, Virgin Galactic, um, Sir Richard Branson rockets to the edge of space. And this is from BBC News. And we have a little uh, video that I can play here, and hopefully it'll start where I want it to start. We'll see. Yeah. Three, two, one. Okay. Release, release, they release. They release the uh, clean release rocket, the Ignition. Virgin rocket. And, Good rocket uh, motor burn. Rocket motor burn. And There's Mach one. Can you hear what now? she's saying? Yep. Okay. She's not saying anything now. Uh, it gets up to about Mark three or something, doesn't it? It does, I believe. It goes quite quick. Unity is pointed directly up and heading to space. Things are looking great. We are 25 seconds into the burn now, approaching Mach 2. There we go. It's going, she said, straight up, pretty much. 30 seconds, Mach 2. Everything's looking really good and stable. She is so perky. Yes, she is perky. 40 <laughs> seconds. Quite. 45 okay. seconds. 45 seconds. I bet next it's 50 seconds. Oh. 50 seconds approaching Mach 3. Nailed it. Whoa. Mach 3. There's Mach 3. There it is. I can tell by looking at it. And 60 <laughs> seconds. And that is a full duration burn, folks. We are headed to space. Yay. They run out of and fuel the already. And in the back have <laughs> been cleared to unstrap. Uh-oh. Our predicted apogee is 279,000 feet They'll be inclining. serving drinks shortly. Yeah, they'll be floating the around. The are now unlocking the feather, and um, as soon as they do that, it's going to initiate a backflip for Spaceship Unity. This is normal. We want those windows pointed down towards the Earth to maximize that incredible view. Ah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, we also have a video with the billionaire Sir Richard Branson 
um, kind of a, a special message from space. So here we go. To all you kids down there, I was once a child with a dream, looking up to the stars. Now I'm an adult in a spaceship with lots of other wonderful adults looking down to our beautiful, beautiful Earth. To the next generation of dreamers, if we can do this, just imagine what you can do. Yay! Hey, he's going, I wonder where my favorite captain is. Captain Nick Anderson. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want me in charge of that. That's interesting. That's funny because the, the, uh, the, the detractors are saying, well, the, 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 the craft reached apogee at 279,000 feet. Apparently, Carmen Line is at 330,000 feet. And so um, officially space begins at what, 62 nautical miles up, I believe it is. So that's 330,000 feet, apparently. And if you reached uh, apogee at 279,000 feet, you're just short. But uh, that's you know. what she said. Exactly. That's exactly what she <laughs> Just said. Just a wee bit short. <laughs> Just a wee bit short. Oh, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. There's another There's another craft going up on uh, July the 20th, the new Shepherd uh, of. Uh, uh, from Blue, Blue Origin. Origin. Yeah. Yep. Yes. It's and, the race uh, of the billionaires to get exactly. into space. And they're going to get up, uh, they're going to get up uh, above the Carmen line by a healthy margin if things go well. So, uh, that's going to be interesting. Excellent. So this Carmen line, presumably it was thought up by a woman wearing a great big bowl of fruit in her head. That, or, uh, they were listening to Let's see. Oh, yeah. So uh, they, th- according to this article, it said the height reached by Sir Richard in the rocket plane, known as Unity, uh, also the name of the uh, leisure travel van that I have purchased, <laughs> um, oh, right. was uh, 85 kilometers, which is 202,000 feet, um, 53 miles. The businessman was accompanied on the mission by the vehicle's two pilots, Dave Mackey and, Mackey and Michael Masucci. And three galactic employees, Beth Moses, Colin, Colin Bennett, and Sarush, Sarisha Bandla. The latter trio and Sir Richard were presented with commercial astronaut wings after the flight by former space station commander and Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield. Sir Richard billed the flight as a test of the space tourism experience he expects to begin selling to customers from next year. I've had my notebook with me and I've written down 30 or 40 little things that will make the experience for the next person who goes to space with us that much better, he said. The only way sometimes you can find these little things is to get in a spaceship and go to space and experience it for yourself. Today, space is virgin territory. Ah, I get it. The moment Sir Richard Branson's rocket plane reached its highest altitude, some 600 individuals have already paid deposits for tickets that will cost them up to 250,000 US dollars, 180,000 pounds. These are all people who want to reach a height where they can see the sky turn black and marvel at the Earth's horizon as it curves away into the distance. Such a flight would should also afford them about five minutes of weightlessness, during which they will be allowed to float around inside Unity's cabin. It's been a long road for Sir Richard to get to this point. He first announced his intention to make a space plane in 2004 with the belief he could start a commercial service by 2007. But technical difficulties, including a fatal crash during a development flight in 2014, have made the space project one of the most challenging ventures of his career. There's a picture there of the two pilots on either end and then the ones that have the 
gold uh, material on their right legs are the uh, passengers, including Sir Richard Branson. And uh, yeah, so interesting stuff going on. Oh, uh, they said that um, California tech entrepreneur Elon Musk, of course, now he lives in Austin, Texas, I believe. Um, he um, actually went out to the uh, spaceport in Arizona to uh, support this whole thing, which was kind of nice of him to do. Since well, yeah, after all, his space exploits are considerably more sophisticated. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, following the flight, um, Mr. Bezos sent his congratulations to Branson and the uh, Virgin Galactic team. Anyway, and here it talks about that Carmen line. Oh, it's spelled differently than the uh, the opera. Oh well, yeah. Is that like Carmen Gia? Carmen car? Gia. Oh yeah, it could be. Yeah, like the uh, Volkswagen. Uh, yeah. Car. Volkswagen. Okay, here's a little graphic of the uh, of the of the journey, uh, Spaceport America, and they are uh, with that uh, aircraft that um, launches the vehicle. And uh, I guess this is the only one that kind of uses that sort of technology as opposed to uh, Blue Origin and um, Elon's um, rockets that use traditional rocket boosters. Um, anyway, so pretty cool. Uh, it's interesting to see what's going on in the world of space. Here's that. Uh, you just oh. Go ahead, Liz. No, no. When you're finished, I, Hillel has a little thing on the engine here he wants to share. Okay. But when you're done. All right. Tell, tell Hillel to get back in the shower and shut up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's enough. Uh, anything else to say or add, crew? Uh, no. No, no. Congratulations uh, someone quite correctly said, congratulations to all the Virgin employees who made so much profit that he could afford to do this. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And too bad about your retirement uh, that we had yes. to uh, stop <laughs> <laughs> to pay for this. I actually found a schematic of the engine. The image looks like uh, just like the master vane disc, which sits behind the front fan. I'd link to the image, but I can't here. Okay. Uh, like the master vane disc. Okay. Oh, it's so vain. All right, and let's move on. I believe we have one more to cover uh, in this portion of the show. Citing a serious flight test incident and lack of design maturity, the FAA flow slows Boeing 777X certification. This is from the seattletimes.com, and there's a picture of the Boeing 777X series sitting on the ramp that looks like, uh, what is it, Painfield? I believe That'd be pain. Yep. Right. Yet another, I miss, I miss flying in there. Yeah, but you do. Um, I don't, yeah, I've never flown in there and yet another blow to Boeing. The FAA last month formally denied the jet maker permission to move forward with a key step in certifying its forthcoming giant wide body airplane, the triple seven X in a sternly worded letter dated May 13th, which was reviewed by the Seattle times. The FAA warned Boeing. It may have to increase the number of test flights planned and that certification realistically is now more than two years out, probably in late 2023, which is, they add, the month that Jeff will be retiring from his aviation career. Ha, how did they know that at the Seattle Times? 
That's very clever. Yeah, that could push the jet's entry into commercial service into early 2024, four years later than originally planned. The FAA cited a long litany of concerns, including a serious flight control incident during a test flight on December 8, 2020, when the plane experienced an uncommanded pitch event. Ooh, that's never good. Meaning the nose of the aircraft pitched abruptly up or down without inputs from the pilots. Boeing has yet to satisfy the FAA that it has fully understood and corrected what went wrong that day. Hmm, that's even more troubling. Uh, the letter was signed by Ian Wand, the uh, manager of the local FAA office that judges whether Boeing has met all regulatory standards. He also told Boeing that a critical avionics system proposed for the airplane does not meet requirements. And he expressed concern about proposed modifications involving late changes to both software and hardware in the electronics of the jet's flight controls. The aircraft is not yet ready, he wrote. Uh, the technical data required for type certification has not reached a point where it appears the aircraft type design is mature and can be expected to meet the applicable regulations. An FAA official who asked uh, not to be identified in order to speak freely said the drag on 777X certification is now the subject of a lot of attention at high levels, both within the agency and at Boeing. Uh, Boeing's last all-new jet, the 787 Dreamliner, had to be grounded in 2013 when its battery smoldered in flight. The next plane, uh, the derivative of the 737 MAX, was grounded for 21 months starting in 2019 after flawed new flight controls caused two fatal crashes. I wouldn't call that flight controls, uh, but nobody asked me. Anyway, so there you have it. uh, kind of uh, not very good news for the no. Boeing out there in Seattle, or I guess they're based in or they're headquartered in Chicago. Chicago. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you think, uh, Rick? No, I, I think it's 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 fine. It's you just you got to get it right. You can't uh, you can't keep uh, you know pushing these things uh, through the through you know through and 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 getting the airplane out you know quickly for the sake of optics and for the sake of getting it to the customers and then having some kind of major event happen and then have to, you know, walk the whole thing back and, and, and kind of start over, um, you know, hurting the brand and the credibility and uh, not only of the company of Boeing as a company, but of um, uh, the FAA as a regulatory agency. And so, yeah, you know, oftentimes you just have to pace yourself and just, you know, slowly but surely here and uh what uh, what i and I've, I've been reading a lot about um uh emirates and how they feel about this whole debacle and uh they're uh they're 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 not happy and i don't i don't blame them i mean no. the, the Bo- boeing uh um promised a product on a certain date and they didn't come through and i think that uh, as much of uh you know boeing app advocate the you know the that I've been through my, my, my whole career here. It's just, you have to, you know, sometimes shine the spotlight when, where it needs to be shown. And, uh, and uh, yeah, you got to do things right. That so. Emirates CEO um, never, you know, uh, shies away from, you know, telling it as it is and how he feels about it. And I think that's a good thing for the industry, for somebody oh, like him to, to say, look, you know, it's, and it hasn't just been Boeing. I mean, they've had issues with Airbuses as well. And that he's kind of put his foot down and said, no, we're not accepting delivery of this because this is what you promised us and it's not meeting the uh, expectations that we had and go back and fix it and then we'll take it. And uh, yeah, so. Exactly right. All right. Well, with that, let's uh, do a little bit of uh, catching up with each other, getting to know us, that segment of the show where we talk about what 
everybody's been up to between episodes. And since we didn't get a chance to hear from you last week, Rick, let's go ahead and hear what's going on, man. Well, um, been uh, back at work for the last uh, week or so. Um, I uh, spent Fourth uh, of July in uh, Hawaii, the layover uh, there in Honolulu. So I had uh, more than my standard uh, thirty-two plus hour layover. I was there for a healthy three and a half days, which was uh, was wow. nice. Um, um, so you know, just very got pleasant. to yeah, very, 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 very pleasant indeed. I had you know got to uh, go out and you know do my usual thing, just go for my, my my run. I like to go up Diamond Head there, the uh, the the little peak on the uh, on the uh, edge of the island there, and then uh, you know just enjoy the uh, enjoy the ocean and the sun. It was really nice weather there, so. Uh, I did that during the Fourth uh, of July. Well, interestingly enough, the, uh, there weren't any fireworks in um, in uh, Honolulu what? to mark uh, yeah for, to mark Fourth of July because of COVID. Oh yeah, that's a, well, that's a whole other story. Well, um, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Me. So bless Speaking you. Of fireworks. So uh, man. so yeah. So sadly, sadly, no fireworks <laughs> display, and um, so oh well, that that kind of put a dampener on things, and um, and so uh, flew back out to uh, Southern California, uh, and then uh, back out to uh, Honolulu. I was supposed to uh, be with you all uh, last week, and um, had a bit of a technical issue. Uh, I couldn't get the connection, the internet connection, to work. Um, so, uh, that didn't work and, uh, no, but just basically been doing, um, out and backs between Southern California and, uh, and Honolulu doing my last one, uh, for the uh, period tomorrow out of Riverside and, uh, heading back, uh, home uh, on Friday. So, uh, that's been put an end to the, uh, to the out and backs for a little while. So, um, the rest Excellent. of the month, uh, rest of the month off. Oh, loved your crew log you, uh, um, did by the way. Oh, great. thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. Uh, crew logs, by the way, um, if you want to become part of our coffee fund cadre or coffee bar club, as Nick likes to call it, uh, and become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash airline pilot guy, uh, you have access to our crew logs. And uh, so you should check that out. It's one of the one of the perks of being part of the uh, part of the club. And uh, both Nick and Rick um, very recently and just the last few days, uh, submitted new crew logs. So, although mine are not as, as produced as, as, as Nick, uh, Nick puts a lot of, a lot Nobody's of effort. And, yeah. yeah I've got the, more time <laughs> into, the, into the production. Nobody can match that. No, absolutely not. I just, I just kind of, you know, something, something gets in my head and I'm like, Oh, this will be interesting. Yeah, so that's just kinda, good. That's what we want. Kinda, yeah. You know, so a stream of consciousness, so to speak. Uh, and, and you, and you learn, you, you school us and you learn us on a lot of different things. Yeah, <laughs> interesting stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, I hope, I hope that you'll enjoy your time off. How, how much time do you have between, uh, the next? Um, so, uh, till the, till the end of the month, uh, we, we have a lot of things going on in Phoenix. We're, uh, getting ready to, uh, uh, to list the house, uh, looking for a new place down in Florida. Um, mm. so doing that. Wow. And then, uh, when I get back uh, home on Friday, I have to deal with contractors and painters and flooring people and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a busy, busy couple of days uh, and then realtors and, you know, all, all sorts of things. But, oh, um, yeah, it's fun. But, uh, Hey, you when know. you, uh, have you, have you found a place in Florida yet? 
Uh, a couple of places, yeah, a couple of places. Um, uh, do, do they have but, like extra like guest rooms and stuff? No, absolutely. Oh, excellent. Absolutely. Okay, good. I'll be. <laughs> you are and RV parking as well. So oh, good. And I'm and I'm and I'm serious. A lot of these places do have RV parking. So. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, Fifty so. amps, man. Oh, no, thirty. I think I'll just need thirty. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear the uh, the journey. And uh, sorry to hear you're going to be working hard, but it sounds like it'll be worth it. Yeah, yes, sir. All right, Nick, sir. How have you been? Uh, not good, sadly. Oh, very sadly. Yeah, uh, three, three, I'm, I'm suffering from a bad back right now, mm-hmm. and um, uh, pretty heavily junked up now because uh, it's got quite serious. And mm. I mean, I'm actually having trouble just walking. So uh, things I can't sit at the computer for very long either. So mm. um, uh, yeah, things not brilliant. Uh, hoping that that will uh, be sorted before too long. I'm seeing physiotherapists and consulting with my doctors, but there you go. That's that's life. We'll uh, need to uh, dispatch uh, Doctor uh, Captain Doctor Steph. Uh, yeah, to, that would uh, be a nice idea. Just say she could stab me in the back. Yeah, you mean? give me a couple <laughs> yeah, jabs in the back. I'm sure, that'll fix Literally. it. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, uh, this all kicked off when I was flying the F-18. Uh, hmm. You know, that airplane's got a raked seat. Uh, it leans back quite a lot, which, um, you know, a lot of us have back problems because when you try and look behind you, you actually have to pull hard against the, sl- the shoulder straps, lean forward, hmm. and then twist your body. Because if you look back in a rake position when you're leaning back, you actually are looking back and down. Mm. which is no good when you want to look inside the circle because the guy's usually above you. So you end up with a bent back, twisting under lots of G. And Ooh. quite a few of us, that's when it all kicked off. Wasn't the F-16, wow. the, was the F-16 the first uh, fighter that had that, you know, reclining kind it's of like a, a, like a position? Like yeah, a I believe, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, a lot of aircraft have it to one degree or another, but... The F-18 wasn't quite as raked as the F-16, but it was enough for you to have to you know, uh, twist, uh, lean forward and twist. And that was not really good for your back. I'm wondering if you know, um, or if anybody knows if, did they kind of continue with that sort of reclining seat with the new generation of jets, like the F-22 and F-35? doesn't look like the, uh, the F- I've seen the F-35 pretty mm-hmm. close up. doesn't look like it's got much of a rate, which is, yeah. which is fine. Um, they they thought about it because they thought, well, if we reduce the vertical distance between your heart and your head, mm-hmm. um, that means uh, that you've got better G tolerance. Mm-hmm. But actually, uh, you have to go quite a long way back for that to have any true effect. You're much actually better off using one of the other techniques, like uh, um, you know, a, a better G suit, uh, better training, better muscular uh, control and uh, ability to. Uh, uh, you know, uh, tense your body up uh, in an anti-G maneuver and, um, you know, even uh, in artificially inflating uh, the lungs because that's another thing. If you, as you, if you lean back too much, the, the lungs rest on the back of the rib cage and compress the uh, alveoli there, mm. which rather negates the slight advantage you get from tilting back because your lungs aren't working as efficiently. You can overcome that by uh, increasing the pressure of air that you're being fed into your lungs, a bit like using a respirator through your mask, 
Um, but it all gets a bit complicated, and I don't know enough about it to really be able to say, all I know was it hurt my back. <laughs> yeah, and that's... I know what it is. You're too damn tall to be flying fighters now. That's 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 true exactly too. Exactly right. That was another problem. <laughs> yeah, should be should be problem. like me, five eight, five nine. You know, you'd be perfect. Pounds. Actually, your build would be ideal. You'd you'd be spinning around at nine G, going, oh, come on, give me some. More. <laughs> <laughs> lots of beer, lots of burgers. High high blood pressure is what you want. Exactly. (laughs) So not very comfortable at the moment, and I'm not looking forward to getting out of this chair because that's when it kind of hits. Anyway, um, seeing seeing lots of specialists, so hopefully they'll sort something out. Mm -hmm. Um, More importantly, to do with aviation, uh, I've just been trying out my laptop connected up to the background tonight because tomorrow I'm giving a little talk to the uh, Yorkshire Aviation Society. That's oh wait! I slides. think we have uh, something like a little teaser here. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, right yeah. This is the, this is them. Yeah, hang on. Um, all right. Um, there we go. This is Captain Boycott speaking. You're not flight. We'll be flying at whatever I tell like for as long as I'm bloody like because I'm captain, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's my standard PA. And uh, yeah. of course, the uh, the yoke with the uh, the beer tap, uh, the ale tap is uh, you know perfect. Brilliant. Love it. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. I actually, um, uh, yeah, I, I even, even put some Yorkshire in my script as uh, <laughs> as a welcome. So, uh, okay. well, that, yeah, they're, um, they're notoriously a hard audience, but I'm sure being aviation folk, they'll give me a bit of a break being yeah. a southerner. Anyway, that's, um, <laughs> that's for tomorrow night. Uh, and um, I, I wish wanted to say special thanks to Ethan Allen. I don't know if he's listening, but uh, it was his idea that uh, gave me the germ of a, a, a thought to produce tonight's uh, plain tale. Oh. So uh, that's a uh, big thanks to him uh, for um, sending in ideas. And I, I do get lots of ideas from people, um, and I, I can't use many of them um, because it's either like too long work, too much work, or uh, they're not, you know, I can't find enough information quickly enough about an an event or an aircraft or whatever. But I do appreciate people who send in ideas, and thank you very much for that. And Ethan, love the furniture. It's really high-quality stuff. Great stuff. stuff. (laughs) I've got some of your stuff at home. I don't know how I love your designs. Uh, yeah, it's a thing over here in the uh, in the U.S. Uh, Ethan Allen makes uh, traditional, very high quality traditional furniture. Oh right, okay, homes. okay. Yeah. So he'd probably be the mouse man of America. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> the the mouseman was of uh, is still a famous uh, furniture maker, and his signature oh. was to carve a. A little mouse uh, on some part of the of the item of furniture, ah. and he became the mouseman. I like that. A Very cool. Card. Very nice. Mm. Very cool. So if Nick needs to depart due to his back, we'll have okay. To- um, so Liz is saying that if you need to depart because of your back, and what was the last part? Feel free. Feel free. Feel free. Feel she free. said. She's given you. You, you may be excused if you'd like, but we're going to be doing the um, 
the plain tale, right? And you probably want to say no, I'm, I'm going to stick around for a little bit. Okay. And uh, during the plain tale, I might turn everything off and back on again, see if I can get rid of that background noise. Okay. Not that it'll help uh, you, right. but it'd be nice for me to know what, what it is. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So, and uh, for me, um, nothing new. Um, haven't flown since the last um, Rapid City trip. And right now, I will not be scheduled to fly anything until next month. Um, kind of a personal issue that I'm going through, and that's all I will say about that. And uh, next up is coffee fund. the Coffee Fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right, that is Jeff Smith singing the APG version of the Java Jive, and uh, the Coffee Fund, uh, the Coffee Fund Cadre, the Coffee Bar Club is your way to support the show financially, and couple different ways to do that one is the coffee fund classic method uh, which is basically a paypal donation page and again i mean it was just i think the last show that we mentioned mazuts and he came through again another generous donation thank you very much mazuts for your support of our show and the other way to support us is to use or become a patron of the show via patreon And we had several of you join us as new patrons. And there actually is one more, and I didn't uh, didn't have a chance to add you to the list, young man. So you will be on next show. Uh, But for this show, we have two new producers, Spencer Stutzman and Derek Smith. And we have two new executive producers, Tom Seagraves and James Mack. So... Thank you for joining the uh, uh, Patreon and becoming patrons. And if you want to uh, join this great group of folks, you can head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and learn all about it. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. Captain, incoming message. Oh, look what we have here. We have... Some audio feedback to start off our feedback for this week's show, and it's from Landon. So take it away, Landon. Hey guys, this is uh, this is Landon from the left coast. I um, I'm not sure how long this is going to be, um, and I don't care because um, I don't know. I've just been doing a lot of thinking. As we all know, uh, we lost we lost someone, as Max Trescott put it, larger than life on July fourth, and it was a massive, massive blow to my mind. And I know if it's a massive blow to my mind, it's a massive blow to everyone else in the aviation podcast community, maybe just even the podcast community as a whole. Um, 
one thing that Max Trescott said in Aviation News Talk podcast, which is the only podcast that I've been able to listen to thus far since finding out about losing Launchpad, um, is that he was larger than life. And damn it, let me tell you, he absolutely was when I first met him in Oshkosh in 2019. First thing I said to him, I was like, you're, you're, you're a launch pad. <laughs> and I was starstruck. And he was like, yeah, I am. I was like, I listen to you all the time. And you are really, really huge. <laughs> and, and we just, you know, hit it off from there. And then he's like, you're going to be coming to Potapalooza, right? I was like, yeah, I guess I am. Good. It was great. I met up with the APG crew. Met up with a lot of other folks that were a part of uh, the APG crew and just the aviation podcast community from all over the world. That's where we all met. Right there at the Pipistrol booth. Potapalooza. That was a great, great, great time. And Launchpad put that together and it was absolutely wonderful. It made my day. It made my whole entire trip just as it made everybody else's trip in the summer of 2019 at Oshkosh EAA Air Venture. And I was looking forward to meeting up again at Potapalooza and Oshkosh and meeting up with Launchpad, because on July 4th, I was listening to the Airplane Geeks and listening to how awesome his interview was about how Red Bull Air Racing is coming back. Not going to be Red Bull, but it's, it's coming back, Air Racing. And the interview was just awesome that he did. I mean, it just brought, I mean, it just brought so much joy. And he's just so excited about aviation, all the same as we are. Grown man, just like us, and women, sorry, gender neutral. Just so excited about flying. And it was, it's just, he was a breath of fresh air. He was a breath of fresh air, even meeting him in person and even listening to him on podcast without even meeting him in person. He's a breath of fresh air. And it's just so saddening knowing that he's gone. And I have several other episodes left to catch up to Airplane Geeks podcast. And I am not in, just not in the mood to listen right now because I know that I'm going to hear his voice and it hurts that my time, the chances of hearing his voice are, are just limited. And then it got me thinking about podcasting in the aviation community as a whole, how important, how impactful you all are. 
to all of us listeners across the globe. It's devastating that Launchpad is gone. And it would be devastating if we lose any of the rest of you all. Especially the two individuals that, in my opinion, started aviation podcasting. Captain Jeff and Max Flight. And the co-hosts that we all listen to that are near and dear to our hearts. How devastating it would be to know that we would lose all of you. And I want you to know that I'm speaking on behalf of all the podcast listeners across the world. That we love you all from the bottom of our hearts. Because you guys have created gold. I shouldn't even say gold. It's platinum. What you guys have all created. And Max Flight, thank you for bringing us Brad Launchpad Marzari. Like, thank you. On behalf of all the podcast listeners, thank you. And it's um, it's tough. It's it's really tough to. It's really tough to do this. Um, it's going to be tough listening to listening to the podcast in the future. Uh, I mean, we'll get through it. We'll all get through it, but it's just going to be tough for a little while. But I'm going to send this to all of our podcasts that we all listen to. All of us. And this goes out to each and all of the co-hosts and aviation podcasters. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all that you have done, all that you do, and all that you will do for us. And we appreciate you all. And from the left coast, signing off. Wow. Thank you, Landon, for... For taking the time to record that, I, I could you could just hear it in your voice. It was not easier for easier for you to do that, but thank you for expressing yourself in that way. And you know, as much and important as you think that uh, we podcasters are, I mean, we we couldn't do this without people that want to listen to what we're saying. And it's you, Landon, and others like you in the community that really are the important factor in all of this. And uh, thank you again for, for sending that expression of, uh, of uh, grief and mourning uh, into the show. Yep. Well, very well said, Landon. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, very, very deep. And uh, I, I second Jeff on that. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's like a, uh, it's like a flight crew and a dispatcher kind of 50, 50 here where, we don't go anywhere without you. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, a lot of it does rest on you. And so, uh, we thank you for that. Yeah. And, uh, and your, and your feedback. I mean, that's the, that's what really makes, um, that's really what makes this show is, is all the feedback that, uh, we get from you all out there in the community and, uh, uh, keep sending it in, even as difficult as it may be 
like this one from Landon. Uh, Main Man Micah uh, says, please let the listeners know to check out Airplane Geeks episode 660, where we um, give a tribute to Launchpad. And also a new story about Launchpad will be featured on this week's episode number 661. So we'll uh, put a link in the show in the show notes for you all to to check all that out. Um, yeah. So Landon also sent another piece of yeah, feedback. Yeah, so Landon uh, sent in another piece of feedback, not quite so Rick. so uh, down. Um, no. And uh, let's see, let me get to it here and hit the play button. Okay, why is it not working? Okay, here we go. Hello, APG. It's landed from the left coast. Uh, hello, Captain Jeff, Nick, Steph, and Miami Rick. All right, so all I have to say is um, I don't have much to say, but I have something to say, which is, uh, hey, Miami Rick, I, I keep forgetting that you fly into Stockton. Um, I used to live in Stockton, so... Uh, let me know next time you're coming out, and uh, I'll come fly out there, and I'll pick you up. All right? Uh, you're the only APG host I have not uh, had a chance to meet yet. So, uh, so, uh, so, yeah. All right. That is all. Okay. Well, there you go. What do you think about that? Yeah. Oh, Rick? absolutely. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a uh, Stockton layover coming up uh, in August. And uh, I'll uh, I'll reach out to you here, and I'll uh, we'll, we'll line something up. Absolutely, excellent. Would uh would would love to meet you. Yeah, Landon's a rock solid guy. Okay, to number six now. No, number six. Number six. Okay, we're gonna skip to six, and uh, this is some feedback from Jez, and he said, "Oh, you know what? I need to share this one too because he is sharing something with us." Um, he said, sorry to keep emailing these in. Perhaps I should follow Hillel's solicitations at the end of each broadcast to join him in Slack. Although I worry that is just his name for shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think it might be. Yeah, he probably is at home says, hey, honey, I'm going to, I'll be back. I got to go take a Slack. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> All right. Make him a slacker? Yeah, that does make him a slacker. Anyway, uh, I had a feeling you covered something about somebody resetting circuit breakers repeatedly before, but this is from Airbus's mouth. And then he sends us this link. Uh, I guess they're just trying to say, don't hit control alt delete when airborne. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess uh, this is a PDF uh, from the Airbus Safety Magazine. System reset, use with caution. And we're not going to read this whole thing here because it, it'll take up a good portion of the show. But we're going to have this linked in the in the show notes. Did you have a chance to look at this, uh, Captain Nick? Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with what's in it because in our QRH we have several pages under uh, computer resets, uh, which address every single um, reset we can do mm -hmm. and give us any limitations on the ground or in the air, uh, guidance as to how long to pull the relevant uh, um, circuit breaker or press the reset switch for. Um, so it, it's all there in black and white, and it's not hard to um, to follow. 
quite honestly. Uh, some people, obviously, you know, they get in the habit of doing resets. They they don't bother to look, and uh, you know, you never know something's changed or whatever. And the problem is, if you uh, if you get in the habit of just blithely doing resets, yes, you can get rid of the problem sometimes. Because you know what tends to happen is you get a momentary failure in a system, it'll flag up an error. The computer will display it. If you reset the computer, that bit of memory has gone. Uh, in in some cases, not every case. Sometimes it's a hard uh, flag, uh, and the computer will monitor again. Uh, and unless that problem reoccurs, you won't get a reoccurrence of the fault. But the fault actually might still be there. It's just that it doesn't happen very often, uh, and it might be, uh, you know, something that really needs to be attended to. Um, so, you know, it just resetting um, the flight, the uh, in the computers, and deleting what is effectively a warning because you think, ah, oh, it's probably spurious. You know, it's not always spurious. So, not a good habit to get into, quite honestly. Exactly, and if the circuit breaker popped, it's for a reason, you know. So, uh, but uh, across platforms, whether it's a Boeing or an Airbus or whatever, the one circuit breaker you never reset are ones that are related to fuel systems or fuel pumps and yeah. stuff like that. So uh, you leave those alone. You don't want any area. arcing pumps in the old tank there. Nope, you don't want any of that stuff. It'd be a bad, bad, bad idea, bad day. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's circuit breakers. Uh, and, and and as Captain Nick said, everything is you know very very black and white in the, on the on the procedures on the quick reference handbook, and uh, just follow those. And when something pops, you know, write it up uh, so that you if it's if it's the first time it happens, um, write it up so that uh, you start to establish a paper trail that uh, maintenance can follow, and establish a trend, and because uh, that you know sometimes it's 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 really kind of hard to try to figure out what you know where the problem is and and at the end of the day you know these these newer airplanes all have you know central maintenance computers and diag- they run their old diagnostics and all that but oftentimes the problem can be um you know very very well hidden and under layers and layers of layers of subsystems and so i guess the uh the way to sometimes find what the problem is is by seeing where the the trend started and where it headed. And so, yeah, just circuit breaker pops, write it up, report it, and then let maintenance uh, deal with it. That's what, uh, that's what they do. So, and uh, I must admit, it's, it's all great advice, Rick, but if I get a problem, uh, one of the things I always do is go, what well, used to do, I <laughs> was go back in the logbook to see if that, fault had been absolutely rewritten right. yeah. uh, previously and then i would make a note uh this is the like fifth occurrence of uh this fault uh you know and we're, what i'm trying to avoid is the engineer doing a quick bite yes signing <laughs> yeah. it off again because yeah. if it's happened like four good. or five times then mm-hmm. right needs to be looked at properly Exactly right, and, and and that's actually one of the first things uh, that uh, that that we do when when you get on the airplane, you do what's called a logbook review, and you'll you know you'll sit you'll uh, well not sit down, but you'll have a talk with maintenance, and they'll show you the logbook. They'll see, they'll show you you know what what they worked on, whether they did a transit check or a daily check. Um, there's certain um, uh, time constraints because uh, these, these checks obviously expire; they need to be current. 
And then again, again as, as Nick said, uh, if, if you're going to establish any kind of trend regarding a device, a, an item that that, that keeps uh, getting written up, uh, then you obviously want to go back and see how far this problem goes, and uh, and uh, so that uh, so that you know what to expect if it happens again. Um, always, uh, you're 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 not going to take off with any open maintenance write-offs. That's just not the way it works. You, know, you need to apply uh, procedures. Oh, you need to unless refer. the engineer has his thumb over that one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look here. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> exactly. Well, that? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you never take off with any, with any uh, open maintenance write-ups ever. Uh, before you take off, you're to be legal to go. <laughs> there, exactly. Look, squirrel. Before you're legal to go, you need to uh, refer to a, a document called the uh, the the DDG Dispatch Deviation Guide, and uh, there's going to be a list of things that can be inoperative uh, as, as as long as it's written up and documented, and things that are not flight critical. Um, and if that's the case, it's written up and it's deferred. Uh, the, these deferred items do have a an expiration date as well, and and uh, as as long as the deferred item is not expired as of yet, then you're 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 legal to go. And so, but these are things that you look at when you sit down and actually do your logbook review. With you know, sometimes can take a little a little bit of time because uh, you have to be thorough with that. Because once the doors close and you're you know you know you're upstairs, you're you're on your own. So is that all part of that pre-flight pre-game kind of thing that you had a crew log on uh, last uh, time? No, that was more of what I do at the hotel. Actually, oh. my my next crew log is going to deal with what what happens when I get to the airplane. Oh, okay. So Look forward to that. Uh, yeah, working on that. Okay, sweet. Okay, yeah. Become a patron so you can get these crew logs. All right. Um, let's see. Larry, guess Larry. we're ready to uh, shift over to. Uh, is there is there some uh, feedback from any geezers uh, in the? In the pile there, is. there. is there? Okay, yep. let's see. Seven. Oh, look at that, Larry. Fifty uh, percent accuracy rating. Hmm. Is he talking about us? Let's see, Captain Jeff and crew. When you last buzzed through Tulsa, you mentioned the display at the airport gate reading a tad wonky. I replied that that was the FIDS system, the flight information display system. And even though I specified those when they did the concourse remodel a few years ago, I didn't have anything to do with their repair consultant, sure, you know? Sure. Yeah. That, right. Sounds like he's protesting too much. Um, anyway, well, I was wrong. They are the RIDS, the RIDS ramp information system displays. However, a few days after the episode was published, June 22nd, about 1 p.m., I was having lunch with a couple of airport employees and just happened to mention them. So I drove them out to the ramp to get a good look from your perspective, and they were just a tad off. Oh, did I mention that one of the guys from the airport just happened to be the head honcho over all things electronic? He said he would get into the system and fix whatever was wrong. Several of the other gates were also back to the future so next time you speak in or sneak in unannounced they should be up over 50 percent accurate insert bell sound here oh i wasn't ready for that okay let me see if i can find the bell mm, no uh, rick rick bell he's in the chat room. oh is he okay there he is um <laughs> uh, no not that bell it's the uh, this bell there we go 
That's the one. Yeah. Anyway, T38 is Douglas. This is from Larry the Geezer. Uh, he's a PS lunch suge- suggestion, whiteriverfishmarket.com. Okay, looking forward to it. So there's the Geezer himself at the controls, Captain Larry. Nice, nice picture, Larry. I'll get that truck to move before you take off. <laughs> before though. you apply power. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Looks like he's about ready to do that, though. He does. Yeah. And Here so, I go. Okay, here's the uh, the RIDS system that, to which I was referring, uh, 26 October 2036. That's what oh, you wow. agree to. No, no matter what day and what time it is, it's always like that. And uh, here's one, that, the way it's supposed to look on the 22nd of June, 2021. Colors changed. Yeah, I don't know why. It's actually the, red in the future. Yeah, I, I guess. And uh, that's the designation. And when these things kind of cycle through. They'll say the the um, gate um, identification and then the. Uh, so you call date. that the warthog gate, do you? Uh, yeah, that, I guess that maybe they do. We'll have to ask Larry. Larry, do they call <laughs> A10 the warthog gate? We don't use A10. We use A4, I think. A6, A4, A2, maybe. But A4, I think, is the one that I always use. Uh, welcome to Tulsa sign, 26 October. Some more pictures here. A8. And there you go. Back to the future. So. Yeah, I, I look forward to uh, checking it out, inspecting that next time I'm in Tulsa, Larry. So thanks for getting on that. You use the Skyhawk gate versus the Warthog gate. Ah, yeah. yeah. I guess you can. Yeah, I never, I hadn't thought of that, but you are correct, sir. Okay. Um, and uh, let's see. We have a little um, YouTube video on this one. Uh, number eight. Okay, now y'all can see this, right? Okay, Nick, you're going to enjoy this one, I think. Mm. From Vass Aviation, Real Aviation Communications. Seabird 193 Heavy, we all visual. Seabird 193 Heavy, clear visual approach, Army 18 left. Pitching to approach 18 left, Seabird 193 Heavy. Right. Heavy, have a happy treason day and connect tower 124.15. 134.15. 134.15. He said 193 heavy, happy four. Okay. Treason day. Yes, we love it. Uh, this is from Rob. He said, hello, crew, DFW controller, having some fun, and I figured I'd share. Nick will enjoy. And that's I Rob Legal. Tailwind. Remember, everybody, it's not treason if you win. <laughs> is that right? I don't know. Is that the uh, legal Man, definition? It's, all, sure it's only treason if you, it's only treason if you lose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, You've what? got about ten minutes to the okay. hour and a half. Liz part. tells us we have about ten minutes to the uh, point where we're going to play the plain tale. So in the meantime, we're going to do some more feedback, and I'm going to share again. Okay. This is. Uh, the pilots who risk their lives flying tiny planes over the Atlantic uh, from BBC News. And this is from somebody named Liz. Hmm. wonder who that might be. Um, Very suspicious. Pilot Dave Henderson. I must admit it's a bit addictive, really. Oh, is he talking about our podcast? Of course. Absolutely. Ah, okay. Yep. Uh, ferry flying is a lucrative but high-risk industry. Elite pilots deliver small planes across oceans and continents distances these aircraft were not designed to fly flying alone across the atlantic ocean in a tiny single engine plane at low altitude sometimes in extreme weather conditions is not for the faint-hearted 
things can and do go wrong. The ferry flying industry is a close-knit band of aviators, some of whom have carried out hundreds or even thousands of flights delivering newly sold or repaired small planes to remote destinations. And the uh, writer of this article uh, continues, My father was a ferry pilot. As a child, my life was dominated by aviation school holidays. Wait, no, dominated by aviation. School holidays were for planes and flying. And uh, if you want to read the rest of the article, we'll uh, have a link to that in. Well, if you're if you're using Apple's podcasts or Google podcasts or Overcast or any of most of the popular podcast devices on uh, phones, uh, you will see that you can click on the title there in the link and it will take you to this uh, this article as well. So again, from BBC News. Thank you, Liz, for that feedback. You're welcome, Jeff. That's yeah. very good stuff, isn't it? I mean, in the old days, I when I first got into the aviation industry, I remember they were converting a, a beaver to fly across to Canada uh, by fitting, you know, great big internal uh, additional fuel tanks like great big plastic bags, and there was a a hand pump the guy had to nice use. Beaver. Yeah, <laughs> to uh, get this fuel to shift from this big plastic bag up into the wings. Um, and uh, it all looked a bit Heath Robinson. Uh, and I suppose in those days, the risks were extremely high. But I'm just going to say no uh, disrespect to these guys, but nowadays they've got, you know, satellite imagery. They've got uh, satellite radio communications as well as radio communications mm. um they've got all the forecasts up the yin yang um mm. you know it, i think they take a lot of uh, the concerns out of it and as well as having uh, satellites overhead that'll pick up uh, your uh, emergency locator beacon if you go down um it is it is a lot safer um but there's uh, still no taken away from the fact that uh, uh, single-engine uh, aircraft across some pretty hostile terrain um, for thousands of miles is a you know no m- mean feat. No, nope. absolutely, and it's interesting because these these smaller type airplanes don't, as you said, don't have the range or the equipment required to fly the proper North Atlantic track system. Um, and so um, a lot of these older, I, I wonder if these smaller type airplanes. <clears throat> Use the uh, the blue spruce route system. Um, I'm assuming so. Although, I mean, that was really designed around the beacons that were available mm-hmm. uh, as uh, well. Because if you lost your navigation, you could still go that route right. and use VORs. So they they probably got GPS and that sort of thing. But yeah, I think you'd need to because you've really got to. There's only a certain number of airfields uh, on route to go to, and you're going to have to pop into most of them to refuel, aren't you? Absolutely. So, yeah. And, of course, uh, I suspect they're under a certain amount of uh, commercial pressure to make sure that they deliver on time. If the weather's looking a bit dodgy, well, you know, shall I go, shall I not? Uh, things change quickly up in that part of the world, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and they mention um, that place that I call Sunderstrong Field. Uh Nasasak. How do you pronounce that, do you know? Sorry Sack. <laughs> Sorry Sack. 
<laughs> Nutsack. Is that what she said? Oh, I can't. I can't say what Liz just said. <laughs> well, I, I, I can never could pronounce it, so I just call it Sunderstrom Field. Yeah, uh, yeah, and actually, that was one of our emergency diversions. Uh, you know, if uh, we had a major fire or something, couldn't go anywhere else. We'd try and throw it into Sunderstrom Field, but uh, looking at the approach plates and all the restrictions, it would have been a you know, pretty <laughs> impressive thing to take a big airliner in there. Yeah, like, not only aircraft. that, but there's a so um, we we do fly over um, uh, portions of Greenland, uh, both on the seven six and the seven four fleet, and um, it's interesting because um, over some portions of Greenland, uh, in particular. Uh, where you where you to have some kind of um, pressurization problem, you can't just pop down to ten thousand feet because you do you know run into a fairly high terrain around there. So you do have to take into account uh, uh, you know pressurization escape routes, and 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 so that that kind of gives you an idea of how you know unforgiven the terrain is uh, up in those latitudes. And usually with unforgiven terrain comes unforgiving um, weather. And so uh, yeah, I can't imagine having a you know, ferry a, a, a small airplane from one place from one continent to the other and, you know, having to deal with all that kind of weather and then the time pressure and all that. So Absolutely. quite quite interesting. Apparently beavers don't have wing anks. Uh, so, uh, Is that supposed to be I, wing yanks? I, I, I guess they were <laughs> pumping it somewhere else uh, at the time, Lane. Uh, I was like 19 at the time and i didn't really uh know a lot about flying back then so forgive me if i don't get the position of the wing anks properly yeah well you're you're, you're, t- you're talking about 1912 so yeah, yeah around that aviation yeah. started yeah. in 1903 so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 oh man hey liz Sent us another piece of feedback. I think Liz didn't think we were going to have enough feedback <laughs> for the day show. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, let's see. Let me uh, get over here to this and say we had such an upbeat, optimistic item last show regarding the aviation recovery in the U.S. I thought this article would be an interesting contrast regarding what the situation is in other parts of the world. Uh so you're going to have to bring us down now, huh, Liz? Okay. Yeah. Qantas yeah. international pilots have revealed the significant toll extended periods without flying is taking on their mental health. I mean, their mental health wasn't good to begin with, and now it's worse. Mm. While other parts of the airline group expands domestic services. The anguish facing long-haul pilots who have been stood down uh, has been aired internally on the airline's online communication system, Yammer. In response to Qantas executive John Gissing last month seeking to start a conversation about Men's Health Week. In their comments, the pilots laid bare the impact a seemingly endless stand down is having on their lives, warning that the worry that breeds from uncertainty is palpable. Here's a nice uh, picture of a Qantas A380 uh, Super Jumbo uh, parked up at the storage facility in California last year. Uh, the Herald obtained the messages on the basis that it did not name the pilots in order to respect their mental health. One pilot, who was close to 500 days without flying, said he rarely slept through the night and was usually awake between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. The financial hit has been significant, but it pales in comparison to the mental hit. The worry that breeds from uncertainty is palpable, he wrote. The uncertainty eats at you every day. It clouds your thinking. It affects your decisions and corrodes relationships. 
He warned that the mental effects will be significant. An international crew felt abandoned as other parts of Qantas expanded while they faced a seemingly endless period of stand-down. Qantas has added 45 routes to its domestic network since the start of the pandemic, as the airline group seeks to gain market share vacated by its trimmed-down rival Virgin Australia. But most of Qantas's international flying has been halted due to the government's COVID-19 restrictions. And again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's... Um... Uh, last time I was in Sydney was October of last year, and uh, it was it was pretty bad down there. Um, I'm talking, you know, being tested several times before you even leave the airport, and then uh, you were escorted uh, to a hotel on airport property, and you're in a hotel room for the duration of your layover under guard, and and that's just. And that's just just international cruise. I mean, that's uh, I. Uh, it's it's interesting how the Sydney layover used to be one of the most senior trips, and now nobody wants it. And I don't I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. It's um yeah it's it's no way to it's no way to spend a layover, um, particularly in a place so beautiful as as beautiful as Sydney. Mm-hmm. So, but hey, let's hope that uh, things improve quickly yeah. and uh, we fingers get crossed everybody yeah. back on track i've got a lot of friends uh, who i made uh while i was serving out with the uh, australian air force who moved into Qantas, and uh you know for some of them uh life has been absolutely dire so i really do feel for them i hope Qantas gets back on their feet and they all get their jobs back but no guarantee i'm afraid yeah Perfect right. timing. Yes. Right there now. Well, uh, thanks again, Liz, for sending in that uh, very uh, upbeat and positive <laughs> feedback. You're anyway, so welcome. it is now, speaking of uh, upbeat and positive, uh, well, maybe not, um, this week's uh, uh, installment of the old- It's very upbeat. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll be the judge okay. of that. Oh, okay. uh, this week's old pilot's plane tale entitled Defending the Baltic Express. Take it away, old pilot. The old pilot's plane tales. Defending the Baltic Express. The SR-71 was by far the most impressive but secret spy plane used during the Cold War. Defenseless, it relied on its unmatched performance to provide vital data for the USA and NATO on some of the most sensitive parts of the globe. One was a regular mission flown out of a base in the United Kingdom, RAF Mildenhall, east across the North and Baltic Seas towards the territories of the Soviet Union. These flights were known as the Baltic Express. The Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird was developed as a black project known as Oxcart. The Lockheed A-12 aircraft, codenamed Archangel, designed by Lockheed Skunk Works, was based on the designs of Kelly Johnson and built for the Central Intelligence Agency. The A-12 named that because it was the 12th in a series of design efforts was ahead of its time, the early 60s, in many ways. 
A large proportion of the airframe was constructed from titanium, the acquisition of which involved a great deal of subterfuge, since it was being purchased from the Soviets, the very place that the A-12 would be spying on. Although the SR-71 was based on the A-12, it was built for the United States Air Force and NASA. A bomber version was envisaged, but it was only ever used in the reconnaissance role. Both longer and heavier than the A-12 to accommodate additional sensors, cameras and a sideways-looking radar, it held more fuel and a second crew member. It came into service in 1968, and apart from its low-radar cross-section, inbuilt electronic countermeasures, its only defense against missiles launched against it was to accelerate and outfly the threat. Although its design speed was Mach 3.2, pilot Brian Schul flew faster than usual to avoid multiple interception attempts. Afterwards, it was discovered that this had actually made the engine more efficient by reducing fuel consumption. It used a special cesium-based fuel to reduce the radar visibility of its exhaust pumes. And as of 2020, it still remains the fastest air-breathing manned aircraft ever built. The Blackbird was deployed to the United Kingdom in 1976, from which it flew two main routes. One was up the west coast of Norway and along the Soviet Kola Peninsula, which contained several large naval bases of the Soviet's northern fleet. The other route, across the North Sea, over Denmark and around the Baltic Sea, which also contained many coastal military bases of interest, returning along the thin stretch of airspace between Uland and Gotland, both of which were part of Sweden, a neutral country. This was the Baltic Express. In 1949, Sweden chose not to join NATO, and declared a policy of remaining non-aligned during peacetime and neutral in war. However, don't ever confuse Sweden's status as one that was brought about by pacifism. At the end of World War II, the Swedish Air Force had over 800 combat-ready aircraft, and it then underwent a rapid modernization program, choosing the best aircraft it could find from abroad. It equipped with the P-51D Mustang Fighter and the de Havilland Mosquito NF-19 Night Fighter before moving into the jet age with the de Havilland Vampire. The Swedish military soon realised that they needed even stronger defences to counter the threat presented by their near neighbour, the Soviet Union and in the closing months of the war, the Saab team began working on two proposals for jet fighters. After getting their hands on some German research data, the winning design, codenamed the R-1001, was altered from a straight-wing layout to a 25-degree sweep. Belying its chubby looks, the Saab 29 first flew in 1948, and proved to be both fast and agile. 
nicknamed the Tunnan, the Barrel. It set a world record speed of 607 miles an hour on a closed circuit, and by 1956, 661 J-29s had been built. Later versions were fitted with reheated engines and sidewinder missiles, and although they were retired from operational service in 1965, they continued to fly in other roles until 1970. Throughout the Cold War, Sweden went on to equip its air force with modern and very capable aircraft until it became the fourth largest in the world. It possessed over 4,000 aircraft, out of which no less than 3,574 were armed fighters, with many hundred more in the bomber role. During the period of the Cold War, they produced two of the most beautiful and recognisable fighters in the world, the Saab Draken and the Vigan. The Draken, best known for its amazing double-swept Delta platform, claimed many firsts. It was the first Western European-built combat aircraft with a true supersonic capability to enter service, and also the first to be deployed. It was, although this is slightly less clear, the first double-delta winged combat design to have been drawn up in the early 1950s. It was also the first aircraft known to have performed the Cobra manoeuvre, and the first West European-produced aircraft to exceed Mach 2 in level flight. The role of the Draken was that of an all-weather interceptor, although its design made it more than capable of dogfighting. Originally planned to reach around Mach 1.5, by 1956 that was revised to Mach 1.8, and by 1959 it was fully capable of reaching Mach 2. The Draken was given the capability of working out of semi-prepared strips like public roads, carrying all the equipment needed to shoot down modern jet bombers. It could also be rearmed and refueled by minimally trained conscripts in less than 10 minutes. This Mach 2 fighter with a ceiling of 66,000 feet was, with its splendid body, for anti-fire-controlled radar, sidewinders and 30mm Aden cannons, a formidable foe, and it could also carry the RB-27 missile. This remarkable weapon, built by Hughes and known in the United States as the AIM-26 Falcon, was a semi-active radar-guided missile carrying the W-54 nuclear warhead. As impressive as the Draken was, it was superseded by the equally striking Mach 2 Plus capable Saab 37 Vigan. The Vigan also had a few firsts, being the first canard designed fighter to be built in any quantity, and by many it was considered the most advanced European built fighter jet until the arrival of the Panavia Tornado. Designed in the late 50s, the Vigan incorporated a weapon system which was integrated into the country's national electronic air defence system. 
It became the standard platform for all roles, air defence, reconnaissance, maritime patrol and ground attack, making it a true strike fighter. It had a sophisticated head-up display and initially iron instruments, but later versions would be fitted with three multi-purpose CRT displays. Had a full suite of sensors, including a monopulse radar with air-to-air, air-to-ground and terrain avoidance modes, as well as a look-down, shoot-down capability for the British Skyflash missiles it carried. Like the Draken, the Vigan was toughened to withstand operations from remote strips, and it was simple to maintain, rearm and refuel, and with seven underwing hardpoints, it could carry a variety of weapons for its mix of roles. In addition to its internal Ehrlichan 30mm cannon, it could be loaded with Skyflash, AIM-120 AMRAMs, Sidewinders, rocket pods, anti-ship missiles, anti-surface missiles, including the AGM-65 Maverick, fragmentation bombs, explosive mines, the list is impressive and long. Saab built 329 of this incredible aircraft, and it remained in service until 2007. The Swedish air defence system was well aware of the Baltic Express missions that the SR-71s would fly, since at their peak they were occurring almost weekly. Although the United States Air Force aircraft remained out of Swedish airspace, the Viggen pilots would actually practice intercepts on them, and it was great practice for the integrated air defence system that existed in Sweden. There was little chance of getting in behind the Blackbirds, but they could be engaged head-on. However, it took very careful planning. The Air Operations Centre would give the pilot warning to accelerate to exactly the right height and speed and when to initiate a pull-up to acquire radar contact. The pilot had only one chance, and then, with a closing speed of around Mach 5, it would be too late. On some occasions, the Viggen radar would be countered by the Blackbird's electronic defence systems, but the Swedes learned to avoid triggering those defences. It was an extremely impressive spectacle to watch on radar from the ground. The intercept window was incredibly tight, and all the SR-71 pilot really needed to do was manoeuvre just slightly and the intercept solution would change and the practice attack fail. One of the main problems facing the Viggen pilots was that one of the rules in their orders for safe flights stipulated that flights above 52,000 feet were prohibited without the use of full pressure suits, and those weren't available, so their pilots needed to be careful or they would be grounded by their divisional commanders. So it wasn't a complete surprise on the 29th of June 1987 when Viggen fighter pilots Roger Miller and Krista Huerberry were directed away from their training mission to intercept an intruder near their airspace. One of the pilots said that his fighter controller asked him if he was able to make an interception and identification of a certain interest. He immediately thought it must be an SR-71, otherwise he wouldn't have mentioned it. 
The Blackbird had been flying a Baltic Express mission, gathering imagery of key Soviet bases around the Baltic Sea at a heightened speed that only this remarkable spy plane could reach, when the crew, Lieutenant Colonels Duane Knoll and Tom Veltry, suffered a massive failure of one of their Pratt & Whitney J58-1 engines. At high supersonic speeds, usually between Mach 2 and 3, Intakes with internal compression are designed to have supersonic flow downstream of the air intake. If the mass flow across the intake does not match the downstream mass flow at the engine, the intake will unstart, changing the nature of the shock waves which can cause violent temporary loss of control until the intake is restarted. The extreme yawing and rolling forces of asymmetric power at Mach 3 could be so destabilizing to the aircraft that a built-in system would immediately unstart the intake of the other engine. The engine explosion had shut off the aircraft's generators, causing the cabin to lose pressure and triggering the full inflation of both pilots' pressure suits, making it hard to move around and keep the aircraft under control. They took the Blackbird down, descending 10 miles in height to around 25,000 feet. But the emergency wasn't the only reason that they were in a dire situation. In the past, the Soviet authorities had intercepted and shot down US aircraft engaged in intelligence gathering, and they had specifically stationed MiG-25 Foxbats from the 787th Fighter Aviation Regiment at Finau Eberwald in the German Democratic Republic for the sole purpose of attempting to intercept the Baltic Express missions. As the crippled Blackbird slowed and descended, it would be easy prey for the Foxbats. Noll and Veltry knew that they were in serious trouble, and they decided to head towards the Baltic island of Gotland, Swedish territory, where they might land or eject. They knew that they were going to get better treatment from the Swedes than the Soviets. They also switched on their transponder, putting out an emergency squawk, making the stealthy aircraft easy to see on radar. Voltry considered it the best thing he did that day. Come on, he thought, who are we fooling at this point? and he hoped that the cavalry would come before the bad guys. About 40 miles east of Ulan's southern oceans, the American crew saw two dots approaching from the east, and they decided that if they saw a missile coming off the rails of the pursuing jets, they would point the nose down and eject. But as the dots got closer, they realized these weren't Soviet jets, but the distinctive plan form of Vigan fighters. In the Vigan cockpits, the pilots watched the Blackbird emerge from a misty sky, and they could see that they were in distress, flying low and slow. It was obvious that the aircraft was on only one engine, and then things got really dicey. A Russian MiG-25 Foxbat pulled alongside the Vigan. Valtry learned later that the National Security Agency had concluded the Russian plane was under orders to force them to land 
or shoot them down, but the presence of the Swedish fighters deterred the MiG, and after a few minutes it peeled off and departed the area. However, the NSA later informed them that at least 20 Soviet aircraft were launched as they continued their journey past Lithuania, Poland and East Germany. As the first two Vigans ran short of fuel, they were replaced by another pair from their quick reaction alert flight, which continued to ensure the American aircraft's safety. They stayed with the Blackbird until they were relieved by American F-15s from West Germany, who kept them safe until the aircraft could land at Nordholz Air Base in Denmark, where it made a safe recovery. Such was the secrecy surrounding these missions that details were only revealed recently when, at a ceremony held in Stockholm, all four Swedish pilots, now retired, were presented with United States Air Medals, awarded for single acts of heroism or meritorious achievement while participating in aerial flight. The American pilot, Lieutenant Colonel Knoll, said of the incident, Your obvious skills and judgment were definitely demonstrated on that faithful day many years ago. I want to thank you for your actions on that day. We will never know what would or could have happened, but because of you, there was no international incident. The U.S. Air Force did not lose an irreplaceable aircraft, and two crew members' lives were saved. Lieutenant Colonel Veltri and I can't thank you sufficiently for what you prevented. Thank you for being highly skilled and dedicated patriotic fellow aviators. A fitting tribute to the pilots of the Swedish Air Force. I recognize that voice. That was my good friend, Greg Willits. <laughs> that is, and thank you very much indeed, Greg, again, for lending us your sweet vocal cords for uh, <laughs> no, I was going to commend you on your American accent there, Nick, but uh, <laughs> rain on my parade. Whatever. Well, I, 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 I could have done it, but, you know, wh wh why work when someone else is happy to do it? Uh, Nick you? would have sounded yeah. like this. Err, well, they're airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, two thanks then. One for Ethan Allen, I've already mentioned, and Greg Willits, uh, who is a professional voiceover artist, and you can find him on his website. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was There's really Ethan great. In the uh, Facebook I, I love the story, no. and I loved uh, poking around uh, the Swedish Air Force, so to speak, because uh, although and they um, enjoyed we, it as well. Yeah, <laughs> we used to bump into uh, certainly um, uh, vegans occasionally. Didn't see many drakens. Um, we didn't really do a lot of um, uh, exercises uh, with them, unlike the Norwegians who were part of NATO. But um, so it was interesting to find out just how capable um, those early aircraft were. Um, so ah. very impressive. And what a massive Air Force. The fourth largest in the world. Wow. 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 Yeah, this is impressive. The friggin' yeah. vegan, man. Can't beat that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And Ethan is there in the chat room, so honored that Captain Nick Anderson chose to feature his suggestion on the show. Well, it was a great suggestion. I'll keep him coming. 
No, fantastic. Fantastic uh, one, Nick. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a change from hot air balloons. <laughs> <laughs> or layover hotels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. By the way, um, we think that was probably a one-off situation, but no, the SR-71, according to the facts that I've been able to dig out, um, diverted with various mechanical failures three or four times into Norway. So um, the one that was going across Sweden was not exactly um, a rare occurrence. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it's kind of cool now that they've, unclass or declassified so many of these things and yeah we're, finding we, out we're getting a bit out. more information about some of those missions i, I yeah. love that uh, they decided eventually to recognize the uh, the pilots who helped them out that was brilliant yeah again an excellent uh, plane tale thank you to uh, the suggestion uh, ethan and with that i think we're going to go ahead and shut down part one and hopefully we'll be joined later by Dr. Captain Stuff. And joining me now from her lakeside studio on Lake Dr. Skydiver, Marathon Runner, Strength Training Junkie, IPA Connoisseur, and Commercial Multi-Engine Instrument Rated Backstabbing Jumper Dumper, Captain Dr. Stuff. That's a lot of titles, Jeff. I think we should probably <laughs> pair back some of those things. Feel, okay. Well, we say feel, that every week, but we don't do I know. anything about it. <laughs> no, I know. Feels like I have a lot of qualifications that I probably don't actually. Huh? Well, I, I think don't know. they're all legit. Yeah. From what I can well, tell. Well, the strength training has certainly fallen off the wayside. Okay, I can, it's not, I, can I, I enjoy it. I just. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you're not so much wise. a junkie anymore. No, you're still running I, a marathon, sort of. Yeah. You took a little break. But, yeah. Uh, that'll well, that was resume. COVID-induced uh, pause in marathon running. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still managed to run one on a track. Yeah, and you're still a commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing yes. jumper dumper. Yes, that's true. Uh, which we'll talk about uh, in the yes. getting to know us segment, getting to know stuff segment. Um, and uh, let's go right back into the news. And we've saved a couple of them for you, stuff. And Excellent. we're going to start with uh, F. Um, right. U.S. Oh, here. Do I need to share this one? Nah, because there's really... No pictures or anything. Uh, this was sent in by Roger Stern, uh, Radio Roger. The Transportation Department will propose that airlines be required to refund fees on checked baggage if the bags aren't delivered to passengers quickly enough. The proposal, if made final after a lengthy regulation writing process, would also require prompt refunds for fees on extras, such as internet access, if the airline fails to provide the service during the flight. Ooh. I'm, uh, I'm for that one, actually. Yeah, I mean, me too. Because that's happened a couple times. Well, let me tell you what I did Okay. on my double deadhead last week uh, from um, Louisville to Rapid City. Um, I'm on a CRJ 900 from Mm -hmm. Rapid City to Minneapolis. And Mm -hmm. I I thought, well, you know, I I, I need to work on the show because I think we were doing the show later that day. And uh, so I thought, oh, it's worth it. It's a show expense, right? An APG expense. Yeah. Did they not have the thing for T-Mobile? They did. Or they Verizon? had what was, oh, okay. uh, yeah, go, yeah. Uh, what was it called? Go-Go. Go, it's Go-Go Inflate. Go, yeah. it's Go-Go Inflate offers that yeah. for T-Mobile. So, so, uh, but no, I don't have T-Mobile, so I oh. had to pay for it. Oh. And so I'm oh. thinking, you know, I'm going to be on a flight from Minneapolis to Rapid City, too. And that's going to be a little bit longer. Just and it's on a CRJ. Day. So I thought I'll just do like the full day thing, which mm-hmm. is like, 
twice as much as I think it was like nine ninety five and then nineteen ninety five. So you know, I thought, ah, okay. Well, what I didn't think about, Steph, and I should, yes. but I just don't fly on these RJs very much. Is it the mm-hmm. flight from Minneapolis to Rapid City was on an RJ two hundred? Oh, yeah. They don't have no stinking no Wi-Fi on those. <laughs> at least not the one I was on. Let me let me name all the reasons why I don't love the CRJ two hundred. <laughs> yeah, starting with the window is down at knee level. Yeah, you have to kind of um, bend like, down you to kind of look out the window. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. I guess if you're like a really short, like have a, a short um, torso. If you're an infant. Or yeah, something. or an infant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those are great windows. <laughs> a little person. <laughs> yeah, a little person. Window. A three year old maybe. Or a three year old. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, Small I agree. Small child. Anyway, so I, I that was a dumb. I, I was sitting there going, "Well, why can't I get the internet?" And then I looked up, and you know, usually they have the little Wi-Fi symbol, and then I got the little safety card, and I'm looking through there, and I'm going, "Oh, you uh, idiot, Jeff! They don't have <laughs> Wi-Fi on this." Particular so I think flight. that would actually be classified as user error. And yeah, not, I know. I wouldn't um, expect the uh, no GoGo Wi-Fi to no, refund me. No refunds. Yeah. And by the way, that's the way Acme does it. They don't. You don't pay. Uh, Acme or its sister airline Delta for the Wi-Fi service, you actually pay GoGo in-flight directly, I think. Uh, I I don't know how it works, to be honest. Whatever. That's what I think. But, you know, there are a lot of things that I've guessed wrong (laughs) in Mm. my life. Mm. Um, Well, it's always a little bit of a roll of the dice for me because um, the airline that I fly most most often um, with a large hub here in Charlotte, Mm -hmm. um, some of their aircraft have Go-Go in-flight Wi-Fi, and sometimes it's Panasonic. Oh, and different vendor. Go-Go, yeah, different vendor. And it depends on if they do a lot of the, the that particular aircraft does international flying, mm-hmm. I think. They use Panasonic for the international. Oh, is it because it's uh, satellite-based then? I think so. I, there's something different with the way it works, and someone yeah. smarter than me will know about that, which is not important to my story. But my story is really about the Go-Go Wi-Fi. You can use the T-Mobile free internet yeah and the panasonic does not have it oh and you have you must have t-mobile i do ah very clever i actually of you. have t-mobile and verizon right now which is ah. a completely different story which we will not worry about but okay yeah we trust don't, you don't ask anyway yeah. back to the baggage fees all right uh liz is trying to we're steer having a good me. discussion about this. i know but see um, liz doesn't want to have anything to do with this discussion she's bored Sorry. she says move <laughs> back to the baggage we're going to spend an hour talking about why in-flight Wi-Fi and baggage fees? I know. No, we're not. This is interesting stuff. At least to Steph and I, not I, Liz. I'm very apparently. She's snoring. And I, She's I'm making going to snoring you, sounds in the background. I'm actually going to give you my thoughts on bag fees here in a minute too. But we'll finish okay. the story. Well, let me first try to and quickly just summarize this. The proposal will require refunds uh, if uh, the airlines fail to deliver a bag within 12 hours of the passenger's U.S. flight touching down, or within 25 hours after an international flight. Current regulations require refunds only if the bags are lost, although airlines must compensate passengers for reasonable incidental expenses incurred while their bags are delayed. The government does not know how often airlines keep keep fees even when bags are significantly delayed. The bag fee proposal is the first of several airline consumer regulations. Uh, coming from the current administration, according to senior transportation department official who spoke on condition of anonymity. Anonymity? That. Anonymity. When I see the word, I just like, I I, I freeze Your brain like explodes. Yeah. You can't function. That's okay. I have words like that too. I can't think of Anonymity. There we go. Anonymity. Um, Passengers biggest. Okay. So there we go. That's, that's it. Um, essentially, what, what do you have to say? What say you? 
I say, mm-hmm. figure out how to pack into a very small carry-on for whatever length of trip you're doing. Um, the only exceptions to that I can see are people with multiple small children who need to like just pack everything into one big bag. Then you pack them into a small You pack them into the suitcase and put them in the overhead. (laughs) Or better yet, check them. (laughs) Check them, yeah. That way you don't hear their whining. You don't have to listen to them. They're not going to ask you if we're there yet. You don't have to feed them. I mean, there's so many positives. I know. I mean, I'm thinking this is, you got a good idea here. This is why I don't have children. Well, you know, when I was talking <laughs> with Liz. deemed an unfit parent. <laughs> that uh, way you yes. don't have to worry about putting them in the suitcases. I get it. Um, yeah. So I was talking with Liz about, you know, like choosing a couple of news items to talk about. And I said, even we can do this one. However, I don't think Steph ever checks a bag. Do you? Let me t- know uh, very infrequently. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm struggling to remember the last time I actually checked a bag. Mm-hmm. And more and more my philosophy has become it needs to go into a bag that will everything i need for whatever the length of trip is it needs to be able to go into a bag that could potentially fit underneath the seat in front of me that's not a lot of stuff that you take with you then because not a lot of stuff but you have to figure out how to plan for okay so you're traveling for a week right so Mm -hmm. you uh, and it, it depends a little bit on what the purpose of travel is obviously if i'm going skiing or something and Mm -hmm. i need a lot of like exterior uh, like heavy bulky winter type clothing mm-hmm. that's that's definitely trickier yeah. um so usually that requires at least something going overhead yeah um you don't take like ski I'm, boots I'm, and that kind of thing too no right? i have okay. stopped doing that because yeah. I, well no i take ski boots yes oh um, those are bulky they are bulky oh that's right that's i remember my, there was a story you told us about there was uh, a story about the ski boots <laughs> okay <laughs> i was not happy about the ski boots yeah anyway um that was probably my fault but i was still not happy about it um <laughs> It's I do take be my ski boots. Else's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do take my ski boots because you no, know, they just made me gate check a bag, which I wasn't real happy oh, about. Right. Um, because they were like, Well, your ski boots count as an extra item. I was like, Well, they were in my bag before, but I literally just got off this flight where I was yeah. helping with a medical emergency and I, I had just to put kind them of like unpack. Them. <laughs> well, that's what I thought about doing. I was like, What if yeah. I just I actually think I asked the guy, I was like, What if I just wear them? He's like, No. <laughs> All right. I mean, I was in Phoenix at the time, so that would have been very odd to put on ski boots in Sky Harbor <laughs> and get on a plane. <laughs> I've seen stranger things, and I'm sure you have as well. <laughs> I, I, yes, I have, I have. Um, but it, the reason being is because I don't want my bag delayed. Like I don't want my stuff lost. I don't want my stuff, mm-hmm. you know. That never uh, happens. It never. So why happens. are we even talking about having, the, uh, you know, legislation? Well, because it never so happens. The longest it ever took a bag to come back to me was three days. And it was at a time when I didn't even have to, I didn't have to check my bag. I did it because I, it was, it was a nice day. Mm-hmm. I had a flight from Manchester, New Hampshire with a stop in Baltimore and then continuing on to Charlotte and beautiful day up and down the East coast, no weather, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, flight was pretty, uh, it might've been oversold. I don't know. It was, it was full. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were start asking before you even get on the plane. Hey, if you, you know, wouldn't mind checking your bag to mm-hmm. his final destination, you can, you that'll clear up overhead space else. or blah, 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 yeah. whatever. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. I'm like, seems okay to me today to do that. So I took mm-hmm. a, a chance. With what it. could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Well, let me tell you about that plane we got on. Uh, after I got on the plane, I see all the mechanics standing around underneath hmm. like the I forget exactly what it was. There was a hydraulic leak somewhere and uh, that plane didn't go anywhere. Um, so we got off the plane and I immediately went to the counter to talk to the, cause I was going to get on the 
the literally the, the next gate over, I can get on that flight to Chicago to Greenville Spartanburg, so I could actually get to work in the morning. Required mm-hmm. renting a car, blah blah blah. So hey, I just gate checked my bag. Can you just make sure it makes it from this plane here at this gate to the next one over here no with a new tag to Greenville Spartanburg? Three days. And see my bag for mm. three days. Well, then if this regulation is I don't even know where my bag went. Like uh, probably just, Hawaii. Probably. <laughs> probably. Hong Kong. But that's the, the longest I've ever had a bag uh, disappear for. I've never had one lost forever, so that's good. So, our, uh, so you know, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be in favor of this. Uh, I'm in favor legislation. of it. Yeah. yeah, if you if you paid, you know, a fee to get your checked bag to your destination on time, and more than I think twelve hours is actually a very long time. Yeah. If your bag's not there when you get there, you should get a refund. Yeah, I agree. Like, oh, you were you were going to you know Tallahassee, but your bag's in Nashville. Refund. Yep. Even Micah if they get says, there within, the purpose yeah, of yeah. checking a bag is so that your items arrive when you do. If the bag doesn't arrive at the same time you do, then that's when you should get a I refund. I agree with you 100%, Micah. She does. Yep. We all do. I concur. Yep. All right. All right. So Moving on. We, got, we nailed that one. <laughs> all right. Um, here we go. And the last item in the news. And uh, this was, this was uh, sourced um, by guess who? Uh, it's Canadian news, yeah. so I'm going to guess that our a Quebec woman pr- is producer. using a riding lawnmower struck and killed by landing aircraft. This is from CTV News, Montreal. A bizarre accident has claimed the life of a woman in her 20s. That's sad. Who was struck? And, well, it's sad. Anybody gets killed. Uh, who mm-hmm. was struck and killed by a landing aircraft while she was cutting grass with a riding lawnmower at an airfield north of Montreal. Quebec provincial police spokesperson Mark. Tassier said authorities were alerted to the incident about 12.50 Monday, saying it occurred en route 125 near Saint-Esprit in the Nonondia region of Quebec, about 75 kilometers north Nailed of Montreal. It. So I, I hear in my ears, I hear somebody just like really laughing and yeah, hard whatever. on my pronunciations. Thanks, Liz. Um, the victim was on... The victim was on a tractor and she was hit by a plane that was landing, said Dossier of the Sorate de Quebec. Terrible. <laughs> Thank you. She was transported to the hospital where she was pronounced dead. Tessier said the pilot of the aircraft was also transported to the hospital and treated for nervous shock. The plane appears to be a Yakolev, Yakovlev, Yak 52 trainer aircraft, which was developed in the Soviet Union and is used for students in that era. The incident occurred at a parachute Montreal landing field. Now we get the connection, right, mm. with uh, with Steph. And the SQ collision re- reconstruction experts have been sent to the scene to analyze the crash site. The Transportation Safety Board of Canada is deploying a team of investigators. Dossier could not confirm whether it was a plane used for skydiving or private small aircraft. Now, we're going to show this to you, uh, Steph, and you tell us. I have my suspicions that this is not a plane used for skydiving. (laughs) I wouldn't think so. I mean, that would be kind of inconvenient, wouldn't it? So I've I've definitely seen like small biplanes where they're open cockpits. You can have one jumper in the back and they do aerobatics and go upside down and then they let go. Oh, really? But yeah. Um, that's, but I don't think so out of the yak. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, think so either. I think this was a small private aircraft that, uh, unfortunately struck this woman who was just trying to, you know, mow the, the grass and provide a nice smooth landing area for yeah, the parachutists. Sad. 
Not a sad, um, you know, Liz has been giving us all kinds of uplifting stories for the show. <laughs> I know, right? Not. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, you wonder how these kinds of things happen sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, um, I, I don't know anything about this airfield, whether it's a grass strip I don't know or, I mean, like if she was mowing actually the runway or something, where a, a place where you could actually land. Maybe or, Liz knows because she's from Canada. Liz? Yeah. Do you know if this is a grass field? It's a pretty small country. I know all about it. Yeah, I know it's a very small country, and you know all about Montreal and uh, (laughs) the Quebec province. Okay, she says no. Don't know. Okay. Don't know, don't care. At any rate, (laughs) quite sad and um, yeah, Uh, not not what you want to see. No, definitely don't want to see for sure. Um, Okay. And then, uh, oh, let's do this. Um, Getting to know her. Getting to know her. Getting to know all about her. I'm thinking. For your birthday this year, I'm going to send you the actual lyrics to the song. I know what the lyrics are, but it doesn't doesn't fit. No, I know what the lyrics are. I got them. It's just that I even have the sheet music that has the notes and the lyrics. But it's not getting to know you segment. It's a getting to know us segment. That's right. Right? That's what I'm looking at right here. G-T-K-U. Getting to know us. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm not using the... You know, were you not at the planning meeting? Any of you? We have a planning meeting? Nope. Well, no. Okay. (laughs) We're planning. (laughs) I thought I missed something. We're we're planning on having a planning meeting. (laughs) Great. Can you send an email about it? Okay, yeah. So anyway, Steph, what have you been up to? Anything Uh, big happening in your aviation life? Yes, actually. I did a lot of flying this weekend. Uh Um, Part of the reason I think I'm actually still kind of tired. Um, So people have been listening for a while. No, I've been doing this skydiving flying on the weekend gig for about a year now. And it kind of started out um, a little informally and casually and then just kind of turned into, hey, be here every weekend and we'll, you know, work on hours and experience and um, you know, turbine time, basically. So uh, one of the aircraft that uh, our drop zone has is a twin otter, um, which mm-hmm. has higher hours requirements and experience for the requirements insurance. for the insurance primarily, but also because you should have that experience like yeah. flying this airplane. Um, so, and, you know, from day one being out there, if that aircraft was flying, I was sitting in the right seat and flying it and getting experience. And it just worked out this past weekend that our um, chief pilot and instructor um, who can do all the, the sign-offs and everything was the one flying for the weekend. So he said, hey, come on out. We'll we'll get to work on it. And we flew. Oh, well, I, so I say we, I flew while he sat there and either criticized and or um, uh shared stories of his past. He's a very interesting individual with lots and lots of stories to share. And or, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're both a little tired. I think he might have been taking a nap at some point. No, he was not. Um, I'm kidding. He was definitely not. Um, it, we flew, uh, we were in the airplane for over 10 hours on Saturday. Um, we had one, uh, we started the engine one time and flew from 8.30 in the morning until 7.30 at night, basically. Wow. Now, people yeah. are going to say, well, how do you do that? I mean, don't you have to refuel? You do. With uh, the engines we, running? Uh-huh. Wow. Hot, hot fuel the airplane. Um, every every three loads, so every roughly every hour, um, we fuel the aircraft. Wow. And, I mean, it's, it's nice when there's actually two of us there because then you can actually get out of the airplane. 
mm-hmm. and you know physiologic breaks and and just stretch is nice yeah uh so that was yeah and a lot of time both, on saturday both engines running oh yeah cool mm-hmm. and <laughs> well so a lot of procedures in place right to mm-hmm. make sure that that can be done safely yeah. um Yes, I will not go into the details of how that is done, but there's there's a lot of procedures in place to make sure that ground ground crew are are safe and um, not going to be in danger of getting anywhere um, too close to that spinning propeller. Um, and then sat- Sunday, same thing. We ended up um, it was not as busy of a day on Sunday, but still about I'm trying to think, probably over five hours in the airplane. Um, but we started off the day, we went out and did, uh, just some of the, the air work for the plane that we, you know, wouldn't normally do on a, an average day. So, um, for getting checked out on the aircraft, doing steep turns and stalls and single engine and engine failure procedures and emergency procedures and, and, and all that good stuff. So we took about 20 extra minutes after the, uh, first flight of the day to go do all that, that air work. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously some, some ground school stuff and it's not like I, it, you know, we've been doing that kind of all along for mm-hmm. the past year or so. There's been a lot of time put into it, but at the end of the day, I got signed off on the airplane. So, yay! yay! <laughs> so that's yes. why I was referring to Doctor Steph as Captain. Thank you, Steph. Captain yes. Doctor Steph, or is it Doctor Captain Steph? We were having a discussion not, about that before the not show. Not really sure. We really didn't know the appropriate order of uh, titles there, but. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of work that went into it and it's, it's nice to have that finally checked off. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. sure that's a big burden off your shoulders and a big relief. Well, it just made for a very, you know, it can be, a, it's, it's, there's no autopilot in this airplane. So I'll mm-hmm. just start with that. And especially on Sunday, it was kind of gusty and windy and, um, winds were favoring two, three, definitely, um, beyond the tailwind, uh, component for landing on five, which is where we would normally land. Mm-hmm. Um, and on two, three, we really try to make use of the short field capabilities of that airplane. So mm-hmm. that was, that was a lot of good practice. Cause I really hadn't done that a whole lot in that airplane. Um, but it's a lot of kind of physical handling. And the next morning I was like, well, my arm is kind of sore and I've got like a blister on my, on my hand here. Wow. From, yeah. Now I think we talked about that steering tiller. Uh, yeah, I know we, we did were talking about that show, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Did we talk about it on show? No, I don't think so. So it's okay. got a, a yoke mounted tiller, mm-hmm. um, which I've heard from everyone. The first time you know you're sitting in that left seat and you're responsible for steering the aircraft, it's it's just twitchy. Um, then it, it takes a lot of movement to go to to make big turns, but then when you just want to go straight, it's like a little. It's like tap. I see. And if you don't, oh, so it, 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 it won't like track re- it straight down the... then. No, well, I mean, you're obviously as you line up on the runway, you're going to center it. Yeah, it has a center. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it has to be centered to go straight. Okay. So, and and it was my mistake was when I when I saw the first photo that you sent of the mm-hmm. where it was on the yoke and all that kind of stuff. I thought I guess I didn't didn't have the picture blown up enough to see the detail. Oh. Uh, but I thought it was, it looked like it was a button that was something that yeah, you could press. No, 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 but then, all. then I, the last um, photo that you sent us, uh, I could see clearly easier. see it was a, a lever yeah. or a lever. A lever. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, yeah. oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. No wonder up and, and down is left and right. So, okay. I get it. But who mounted the power levers on the roof of the twatter? That's a good I don't know question, why. Dale. Was that the so Canadians. That, the Canadians I mean, did what, it. Did they do that because um, they were expecting a lot of like water? 
the, the water level to get up to a certain snow. point? I, I have no idea. What is um, the reasoning for that? What, Liz, you sound snow, like you know. Snow banks. Snow, snow banks. banks. Yeah. <laughs> so you reach up and... <laughs> okay. I thought they just wanted us to like really work on our strength, you know, all the time. Uh, uh, I think Liz is making stuff but, up. But you know, again. I spent the last year flying it this way. <laughs> so, like, all my calluses for the mm -hmm. uh, are on this hand. Yeah. And, like, you know, I'm just used to where things are here. And then all of a sudden, you're like, mm, okay. So now you're um, a fully calloused uh, You're a callous person. Cal um, I am a callous person. <laughs> we, we all knew that. I think. No matter. <laughs> yeah. No matter yeah. how she presents herself, now callous. you know the truth. She's just yeah. a callous, callous yeah, person. That's true. All right. What anyway, else? That, it was like, uh, man, that was my entire weekend. I yeah. think I got home at, um, like we finished flying at seven thirty on Saturday, uh, tied up the airplane, did some chatting, you know, stuff on the ground. And then I drove home. I think I literally went through the Taco Bell drive through and ordered like some black bean crunch wrap thing mm -hmm. and crawled into bed, ate the thing in bed and fell asleep. Like still, <laughs> You know, you wake up in the wearing. morning and go, oh, what's that? Uh, oh. Yeah, basically. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy I remember to set an alarm because I had to be back there at like seven something in the morning. So Back out to the airport or back to oh, work? Yeah. No, back to the airport ah. on Sunday. On Sunday. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. thought you meant Monday morning. Well, Saturday, yeah, was not as long of a day, um, but I was, yeah, it was, it's a lot. Of, I mean, you know, you're flying with your chief pilot and mm -hmm. instructor and you want to do well and it's just a lot of mental work at the end of yeah. the day a little, so. little anxiety in that uh, yeah i mean it, it, not so much anxiety but just you well, want to so like when we do a check ride it's like yeah I it's would the say same thing you just want to you, you want to perform well you want to right. show what you know you want to show what, yeah. like you know that you are safe and competent and, and skilled and right. can do everything correctly and by the book and have nice landings every single time, even though you've done 24 landings in a day. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, well, it's, it's a lot of mental, um, like at the end of the day, you're very hungry and like physically tired somehow. Well, as Elf said to the owners of the coffee shop, you did it. <laughs> he did it. World's yes. best cup of coffee or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> World's best twatter pilot. All right. I don't know about that, but I will well, say, we'll, we'll say a twatter yes. pilot. Uh, yes. I've deemed it. So okay, it thank you. True it, is, it is so. All right. It, it is, is so. so. Have right. I done anything else? Man, I spent uh, today doing uh, this afternoon. The reason I couldn't be here earlier, um, well, first of all, just work in general, but also I had to do um, some promotional um, work with the the uh, marketing company, I guess that works for our, our practice. Mm -hmm. Um, so that involved me sitting there like in front of a camera again and just doing mm -hmm. a lot of talking to no one, which they're like, wow, you're doing really well. I was like, I have I'd practice. Talk to no one every week. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was, I really was kind of tired at the end of it. I was like, wow, that was terrible. Let's do no another take. Yeah. And they're like, are you going to, how many takes do you want to do? I was like, I can do better. So <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, those of you in the live audience, uh, do you feel a little bit offended that she's talking to no one? I mean, I do. <laughs> no, I, I'm I only mean that in the sense of like, it, it, actually, I think I think it would have been better if it wasn't just a camera staring at me. If I could actually have 
it was it wasn't just that because the you know marketing lady was there and was asking mm. me the questions so most of the time i was talking to her which was nice but they wanted yeah. a few where i just looked at the camera, at the camera. and there's nothing looking back at me and that's right. where i got the most yeah can you put like up. a little can like a little i was like i screen or something up there i, was like, I need to see, i feel like i need to see myself because now yeah. i just feel like i'm smiling like awkwardly right yeah, yeah they're like don't Liz do that i was like okay you, need, you needed feedback yeah yes. people could have sent you feedback no wait that's not what you mm. mean no no okay well, so that's been my day so far. Um, <laughs> okay, I there's more to, yeah, more to do. Well, we didn't we didn't pick up on it, Liz. She said, "I'm trying to give you a a, a segue uh, to tra a transition point feedback." Mm, oh, feedback. thanks, Liz. I get it now. We're gonna do some feedback. Okay. Unless unless there's something else you wanted to add. I don't think so. Okay. Well, Jazz sent us some feedback. Speaking of. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't a very smooth transition at all. Um, although if I'd done it when Liz told me to, then it would have been, but I didn't. All mm -hmm. right. Jazz sent us this. It says, uh, it's not snakes on a plane, but birds on a plane. And it was a, a Twitter video link he sent to us or is one. And we're not going to, because I couldn't figure out a way to yeah, I'm watching it right now. It, the caption says, this United Airlines flight in Hawaii was delayed from takeoff due to the stowaway bird. And there's basically this little- Little bird flying through the cabin. Little bird flying up and down the, the cabin aisle. So. Yeah. And, uh, you know, many of us have already seen that. But hey, if you haven't, you want to see what it looks like for a little bird to fly through a cabin? Tell you what, all day out. on Saturday, there was this little bug with like little red stripes on its back. Not anything dangerous. It just, it was- it just wanted to land on my arm or my leg like all day while I was flying. And finally we released it into the wild at about 13,000 feet. So oh. hopefully it did okay. Oh yeah. Bye, bye, bye. I'm sure it's just fine. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Cause there's, so a little, there's a little, there's a little, um, like up? air scoop window to direct airflow at like, uh, it's very, very high tech vent uh -huh. to get airflow to come into the cockpit of the twin otter. Uh, basically you just push it out a little bit and the mm -hmm. air flows in. Oh, try again? hi Siri. Oh, <laughs> try again. Try again. Um, so we just opened that a little bit and bug out the window. Oh, okay. Well, Liz was saying, was it bugging you? <laughs> yes. Oh, she's so funny. <laughs> no pun intended at all. Yeah. But. Okay. Um, I'm going to. You're at the half hour mark now, Jeff. Oh, really? Okay. Um, we're at the half hour mark of this half oh. of the show, and that means it's probably going to be a a nice short duration full show. Stuffle like that. So, um, let's see. I'm going to share. How long did you guys uh, go for? Just today? under half, uh, uh, just under two hours, I think. Just right? under two hours. Stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, so, right, Liz? Uh, Who, yeah, whoever is, yeah. Yep. <laughs> whoever I did, you are. I did listen to a very small segment of it while I was driving from one office to the other. So I heard, oh, good. I heard a little bit. Okay. Um, so this is uh, one sent in from uh, Jim. And uh, Oklahoma glider pilot flies around land land spout tornado. And the we reason why we saved this one for you, Steph, is because we figured this is the kind of thing you do all the time when you're launching parachute jumpers. <laughs> no, you probably don't. No. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that the safety and training advisor would be no? really thrilled if we took off into a funnel 
or towards a funnel cloud. Well, Jim says, now this is an interesting story. I'd love to hear what the APG crew think about it. And so it was from the Washington Post. Of course, I got the video from YouTube and we're going to play it right now. You know, wait a minute. To me, that looks like um, an Airbus wing. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> Sort like of a glider. Yeah, yeah well, it is yeah. a glider. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's got the little shark lid on the Yeah, end, the shark right? thing. Yeah. Okay. The shark the thing shark is that what they're called. Shark. Yeah, the shark thing. The shark thing on the wing, you know. Hmm. Quit shark week. This stop. What? I'm hurting my feelings. Me? Yeah, no. Just go. All right, here we go. Look at that. That is pretty cool. A little funnel cloud. Oh look, it picked up a house. Oh, watch out. Yeah. No. <laughs> Andy, yeah, <Andy>, <laughs> No place like home. There's no place like home. I'm sure he's getting some well, he must be getting good lift out of this he must weather be. phenomenon. Yeah. I, I'd i be worried about the downdrafts, though. <laughs> yeah, or getting my wingtip too close to that funnel. That might yeah. do some weird stuff. Uh, yeah. Now, not does not look like something that I would be really thrilled about flying next to. From no. a distance, maybe. Like, a long distance away. Long and distance. Get some... <laughs> yes. Sorry. I like his quote, though. Uh, the pilot described the funnel as, quote, not that threatening. Not that threatening. Not that threatening. <laughs> well, his name, David Evans, he's been a pilot for about 30 years. But he almost became a statistic. No, but few things compare with what he encountered while flying his glider on Sunday. Evans came face to face with a bona fide, a bona fide tornado and decided to hitch a ride on the upward moving air around it. Uh, weather wasn't conducive for strong thunderstorm activity or tornadoes in the Sooner State, Oklahoma, uh, but he found a land spout, a borderline tornado that forms in a way similar to many water spouts or dust devils. That meant it wasn't born from a thunderstorm or cloud-based rotation, but rather developed from the ground up. Uh, all right. That explains the, the lift. Uh, yeah, hmm. it does. So that was pretty cool. Uh, oh, so he, oh, he has a motor glider, so he can kind of drive around if he needs to mm -hmm. and then, you know, get, catch a thermal or tornado. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> I like this, uh, this quote, it was really pretty. It went from base of clouds. It was a rat's tail looking thing. Cause that's what I associate with being pretty. Yeah. Rat's tails. You do? Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah, I remember Don't. You know, all those rats yeah, running the, around your house. <laughs> what? I was thinking about like that uh, hairstyle that was like popular in oh. the 90s for a minute, which I was being sarcastic about. What? You? Being sarcastic? <laughs> Never. 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 Which one next, Liz? Uh, 13. Lucky 13. 13. Oh, we got some more audio feedback from Ladon. Ladon. Or the way it should be pronounced. Leiden. Leiden. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Hello, APG crew and community. Once again, it's Ladon here again. Um, just finished. Well, I am still currently uh, listening to episode uh, 480, just uh, making this audio so I don't forget to do it. Um, you guys wanted an update or to keep you guys in the loop on my training. Um, I. I've scheduled my check ride. It is August 13th. So once when I do my check ride, I will let you guys know how it goes. 
Um, I'm very excited and very nervous at the same time. Um, if you guys have any advice, that is very welcome. Uh, just more worried about the oral portion, not the flying part, but that's really it. Uh, my flying wise update. Um, on to the podcast. Um, listening to the podcast, one of the news portions, you guys were talking about a St. John's, uh, at St. John's, the, I'm not sure of the flight, but, uh, there's a flight that overran the runway at St. John's. And I usually find those, I always have found those incidents, uh, overrunning the runways, um, interesting because it's one thing to get the plane on the ground, but it's another thing to stop it safely. So. Yeah, and uh, one of the accidents that have taught me that was Air France 358, I think it is. Uh, it was landing in Toronto, uh, Yankee, Yankee, Zulu. Um, they decided to continue their approach into a thunderstorm and microburst. And they were more worried about getting the plane down and not really, they didn't think about stopping. So I always found that interesting, and I bring that into my own life whenever I'm on my cross countries. I not only plan the approach, um, I also plan the rollout, and not a lot of people think about that. So, yeah, like I said, that taught me. It's one thing to get the plane on the ground. It's very easy to put the plane on the ground, but it's uh, another thing to stop it. So, yeah. Also, I forgot to shout out Liz, um, our lovely Canadian producer, a fellow Canadian. I'm also Canadian. And from the great city in Canada, Toronto, Ontario. So this is for Liz, uh, the person behind the scenes. Thanks again, APG crew. Um, thanks for a lovely podcast. And I will see you around. Blue skies, up, whatever the saying is. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I don't blame you. I can't remember it either. All right. Okay. End the call. And shh. Go. Go. Leiden. Thank you. Ladon. I know. I'm purposely <laughs> pronouncing it Leiden. Uh, just so that, you know, just to bug him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking, well, speaking of lovely, you're right. Liz is a lovely person. I know you, you wasn't. Oh flattery will get you nowhere. Yeah, I know. Flattery will, flattery will get me nowhere, Liz says. Um, yeah, you can still try though. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't hurt. I, yeah, I mean, it's heartfelt. It's heartfelt. You are nice, lovely, uh, and you help so much, and and you say such sweet things to me. <laughs> sweet nothing, <laughs> especially during the show when you're especially trying to during concentrate. My show. <laughs> during the show, yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm going to work backwards here. The mm-hmm. middle thing was talking about the, and he, he makes a good point. Uh, about you know getting the airplane down and touchdown all that kind of stuff and then some pilots seem to forget about the other part which is actually slowing the airplane down <laughs> so you can yes. actually taxi to a gate or a ramp or whatever um, and I was going to say uh, last month I had three separate um, three separate trips that deadheaded on the first day to Oklahoma City yeah or maybe it was like the month before anyway doesn't matter. Uh, on two of them, 
the they came in beautiful approaches, really nice touchdown, and then they just jammed the brakes on so they could make like, the first turn doing? off. And I'm going, my God, what? And I've flown with like, people like that, that before, and that just doesn't make any sense to me. You just re- that they're not going to remember that beautiful landing you just did. No, they're going to remember but like the horrible. They're going like, to think like, oh my God, we're going to die. Smashed into the. Seat. I know in front think, of them I like what is did we touch down so far that we ran out of runway like why are we stopping so fast yeah like so the um, first one and the third one were like that the middle one i'm thinking oh that was nice he touched it went maybe an extra taxiway um exit off the it, runway so you know it so it took a little bit longer maybe a couple of minutes longer to get to the gate mm-hmm. but it now people are gonna go yeah it was a nice approach landing you know they're, they're not going to be like wondering if they just you know avoided death Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, the twin otter actually has some very nice short field landing characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you do it well, um, and actually should be able to do this, <laughs> um, you can touch down and have it stopped in about six hundred feet. Well, I that that thing is notorious for super yeah. short field takeoffs yeah. and landing. So right? and it's it, so I, we were, I was talking about our landing on runway two three the mm-hmm. the very you know if you utilize all the pavement. You can touch down. Wait a minute, you're using first... pavement? Yeah. I thought you uh, land so on, two, three, on the grass. On five. Oh, okay. Two, three, if you land in the grass, you'll also have your wing in the trees. Oh, that's probably not. That's no good. Not a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Not optimal. So I, yeah, not <laughs> suboptimal. Actually. It's suboptimal. But yeah. it's also right next to where our boarding area is to pick mm. up the next group of jumpers. Yeah. Um. So the the distance there, the landing distance, if you utilize all the pavement, is like 598 feet, and you can make that turn off. Wow, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you have to you have to fly the approach correctly. You have to be on speed. You have to be on your glide slope. You have to touch down. You have to use reverse. You have to be on the brakes. You have to steer correctly and Very don't impressive. stop flying the don't stop flying the airplane. I think is what Ladon is saying. Even once you're on yeah. the ground, continue. Continue to be in control of the aircraft. Absolutely. And if the approach is not working out, please go around. Because you can always. You can always go around. Go around. Sorry. We're going crazy. That's Wrong not. Oh, <laughs> you can there we go. There you go. It's shift G, not just G. I, I always I forget I which one it is. Which shortcut is which. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah, you know, he brought up practice. the <laughs> he brought up the Air France three five eight in Toronto, and I think that was landing in poor weather yeah, conditions too. And they yeah. touched down very long on the runway and could not stop in heavy time. rain and probably you know, should not have continued and, that approach to to landing. Um, yeah, yeah, not a not a good yeah. not a good thing. It was an accident. Yes, and uh, you don't ever so he, want to be in an accident. No. No, 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 no. If it, yeah, uh, don't, don't be afraid to, to go around if it's not working out the way you want it to work out. Continue flying the airplane. All of those good things. Yes. Okay. Thank you. You gave me a, a second chance. I know. I, I <sighs> just want to tell you that. But he was talking about his check ride scheduled for oh, August something or other. Yeah. Um, so uh, here's my advice. Um, and we were just talking about like you getting checked out and anxiety and that it's, kind of thing. It's kind and, of the same. I mean, it's the same thing. It doesn't, you know, doesn't really change. Uh, obviously your first check ride is you don't, you know, less of what to expect perhaps. Well, I always say 
just picture the examiner uh, sitting next to you naked. Mm. Oh, wait a minute. I think that's if you're giving public speeches. Oh, never mind. The audience. That's, a, that's another. Sorry, that's different. Don't disregard that. Don't think about the examiner sitting next to you naked, and don't don't strip down naked don't for also your check ride. <laughs> well, probably not. Not well. good advice. Trust uh, me. I, uh, I've been there, done that, uh, visited the jail. Not fun. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I story for another day, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> After a few beers, maybe. Uh, this is meetups. How do you do a beer like that? Oh, there. Thank you. <laughs> just, just you know, the can or the bottle. Anyway. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which one are wow. you holding? The can or the bottle? I can't tell. It doesn't matter. Okay. They're the same. Right. Um, I, I mean, I would say trust in what you know. Definitely uh, do your check ride prep with your instructor. Um, simulated check rides are a good thing. Um, just going out and going through all the maneuvers that you're going to be expected to know and. Uh, what helped me for mine was the night before we just ran through a whole bunch of things, um, you know, as, as preparation for the oral part of the examination, just talking things through, making sure I could explain everything, making sure I didn't have any last minute questions, making sure there wasn't something that we somehow neglected to cover that might be asked. Um, and it probably took us, I don't know, an hour and a half just going through all of those things. And it made for a really nice and stress-free check ride the next day. Excellent. And you know what? The examiner that's going to give you your check right, he wants you to do well. They or do. She. They want, they want he, you to be. He or she wants you to do right, well. Right. Because if you don't, then they have <clears throat> probably more paperwork to do, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they probably feel bad. I mean, they're, and they're, they're rooting looking, for you to they're do They're looking well. to make sure that you understand the concepts that you're supposed to know. Mm -hmm. They're looking sure to make sure that you're safe in what you do. Right. Safe and competent is what and, they're looking for. And we for. know that you will be safe. Yeah, because so you're, you're thinking about time. those things already. Yeah. yeah. And he's Canadian, exactly. so. Oh, well, that's that's the downside. He's Canadian, so. Oh, I don't know one, anything about Canadian. He's got races. one. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> one demerit already. One demerit again. He, he already has, has points, points against you already. So. Oh, jeez. Oh, well. So it's the 45 minute mark. All right. It's about 45 minute mark. So I'm thinking let's go ahead and blow this pop stand and uh, end uh, the the show and wrap it up. And it's a gift from us to you that it's not an over, over three hour show. So you, you can move on to that hey, really, really good aviation podcast that you got. Take those 15 yeah. minutes and yeah. use them wisely or don't. That's your call. Or don't. Yeah. It's up to you, you know. We're not we going to tell judge. you what to do. We don't judge. No. Mm -mm. Judge-free zone here. So uh, this is the point of the show where we, uh, as I said, wrap it up and we point you over toward our website, which is airlinepilotguy, all one word, dot com. And there you'll find all kinds of interesting tidbits of information and uh, about the crew and the community and library and merchandise and the coffee fund and more interesting or more detailed information about each of those plane tales that uh, captain nick the old pilot does so well and um, the calendar 
community calendar. So all that stuff and more is there at AirlinePilotGuy.com. And we are also on social media. Steph, could you tell us about that, please? I would be happy to. You, you can find us on Twitter. That's Twitter.com or using your app on your phone, however you prefer to do that. We are at APG Crew, and you can find our individual Twitter handles also pinned to the top of the page should you have a burning question or comment for one of us individually. Oh, I hate it when you, you have that burning. Oh, question. I okay. think they make an ointment. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, if Twitter's not your thing, you can try us on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Uh, lots of good aviation information, stories, general community interaction happening there. And I have really been slacking at Instagram, but we're also APG crew on Instagram. I'll try and make sure I share Nick's wonderful artwork for the shows there as well. And then maybe some other aviation related photography things and speaking of being a slacker if you want to be a slacker you can join our slack team and Hillel will tell you how to do that he can and as usual he's in my bathroom again hey Hillel Hillel can you do some uh, some slack stuff Jeff what? I don't understand it how can we be out of conditioner again Oh, he just gave away our relationship. He said, how can we be we, out of conditioner again? Can you hear the thunder? Oh, I heard that, uh, yeah. In the background? Oh, yesterday? Uh-huh. Crazy storm here about this time of day. I'm glad we weren't doing the show yesterday at this time because, yeah. I mean, like, thunder, like, lightning probably within, you know, a tenth of a mile or less. Yeah. And, like where the lightning and the thunder happened, yeah, like, simultaneously. Simultaneously. Yeah, that, that, you there know, were, you're there were a few of There were a few of those yesterday. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, there you go. There's a Slack. Thank you, Hillel. For oh no, he hasn't told us about it. He hasn't done it yet. Oh, <laughs> come here, come here, man. You're not... He's trying to run away on you. <laughs> I know. Here we go. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Jeff, I think you need to find the storm shelter. I need and, Wait, uh, I need to go down duck, to the base. Oh, wait. To the base. You're That's where I am. <laughs> it's a very nice basement you have there today. Well, thank like you. The grand piano in the you corner. You like it? Yeah, I, 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 I'd probably put on the fire. It's oddly sunny outside your windows. I'm not sure where the thunder is coming from. Well, it's, from, it's, it's this way. Uh, out this oh. window, it's dark. And there are lightning bolts and everything else. But out those windows, I don't know. It's just like, you know what it's like in the south. I do, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you live here, don't you? Okay. And with that, uh, let's, um, oh, we need, of course, to thank big round of applause for our producer director in Toronto, Ontario, yes. Canada. Hey, Liz, I mean, honestly, you know, yeah, she does so much hard work. You just don't, you just don't realize. So with that, uh, and we thank you so much. Liz for everything that you do and until next time wishing you all clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and God bless cheers y'all yeah he's up in the sky it's the airline pilot guy good day
to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly 